0: Tune in to the Neil Prendiville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM.
1: we got uh, um, a phone line to call if you wish to get in touch with us. Uh, it's 0818 104 106. you got a text line also. You can text 0868 104 106. I've seen texts coming in already from people who have had hospital appointments and surgeries cancelled. The front of the echo this morning tells us that significant disruption and service delays in Cork hospitals. Uh, there's industrial action now by the laboratory. Laboratory Scientists Association. Apparently they have a 20-year-old ongoing dispute regarding pay grades career progression issues so cancellations of many many inpatient day case, selective procedures and appointments right across the country and Cork of course also patients facing more delays as the mail says this morning as lab scientists go on strike. Now I know this morning uh, and I don't even know if it's been freed up yet the Jack Lynch Tunnel, all sorts of chaos down there with traffic backed up for a long, 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 long time Uh, the barriers came down again this morning, they're saying that it could have been Um, uh, overhyped vehicles but I see text coming in talking about a crash on the link after the Mahan turn off apparently a car crashed into a truck and everything ended up at a complete standstill going into the tunnel and the barriers came down. So frustrating for motorists this morning. Uh, the death of Santina Colley makes many of the newspapers today. Uh, many of the Red Tops seem to have uh, had a conversation with Michael Colley, the dad of Santina, where he says uh, that uh, he says, I'm haunted by the horrors of it. I wish I could pull back time and never have met Karen in the first place. Meanwhile, of course, uh, Santina's mother, uh, Bridget, continues to ask the question, why did you do that to my baby? So I know that uh, certainly I know that Bridget spoke to Paul Byrne at Virgin Media News yesterday. And um, problem gambling for all people, of course, is an ever increasing issue with numbers soaring only one way. Obviously, when you say soaring, it's upwards, but particularly amongst young people, targeting young people who then become vulnerable young people, who then become addicted young people, and a lot of it to do with the power of advertising and the... Immediacy of gambling because of a mobile phone in your hand. So the mail this morning talks about the alarm at teenage problem gambling. So they want to ban gambling ad- adverts before the watershed time of nine p.m. I mean, that's on live television, isn't it? I mean, how many young people are even actually watching live tele- television anymore? Uh, but they also want to uh, to outlaw highly addictive gambling machines. These are just some of the recommendations of so advertising, particularly towards children, because they figure it could be at least three and a half thousand teenagers between fifty and 8 and 16 have been identified as engaging in problem, gam- problem gambling and that's just the number they're putting on it. I often find with numbers like that, the official numbers are by and large just the uh, tip of the of the iceberg story that we really drilled into uh, about six weeks ago, and I have to say it was Tripe and Drasheen's story, the online uh, news service here on Leaside, was the amount of Airbnb rentals that are available for properties, not just here in Cork, but it was a Cork story when we were talking about it, but now it's a national issue, because Airbnb listings are now outstripping traditional home rentals by 18 to 1. So it's 18 times more properties available for short-term lets, on Airbnb, and what that's hap- what that's done actually is it's taken a lot of properties out of the market for people who are looking for a home or an apartment to live in long term. Now, here on Lee side, then you have the councillor Oliver Moran saying that he's seeking legal advice now to see if he can uh, get Cork City Council to force uh, the tech giant Airbnb to remove illegal property listings. I mean, good luck with that if he can get that across the line. I don't know how you can ban that because it is a, a letting service. And I suppose a landlord or an owner can put their properties where they wish. But if you take a look at Daft, you'll only see a couple of pages of traditional letting. You will see 60, 80, 100 pages. This is just Cork County for Airbnb rentals. And the issue then with repeat regards to people who own their own homes, problem now is that interest rates are probably going to go up by half a percentage point. And they figure it may happen because of July, because of inflation. It's probably fair to say that much of inflation is being driven by fuel costs, you know, fuel costs. Uh, and that is putting all prices up. Now, I'm sure there's a bit of gouging going on at the same time but no matter where you look at it, inflation at certainly uh, 7, 8 or 9% means that people will have to pay more interest on their mortgage and the Times this morning, according to Bonkers, says that you could be paying €400 more a month even on a modest mortgage of €250,000. I hate mentioning stories like that because... It makes people anxious and worried. So a lot of people now apparently are rushing to lock in fixed rates ahead of the ECB increases, according to the Independent Today. Sorry for adding any worry or turmoil into your head if you're a mortgage holder, but you might want to be prepared and you know possibly maybe think about where you might get a better deal because there's an interest rate coming down the track. There's other kind of y type stories making the page. Do we really want to know that we're the ninth dearest for a Big Mac? I mean, okay, maybe so. But there is the story making the echo today that says that the HSC's clinical lead on obesity is calling for meal deals to be made illegal in order to encourage better food choices. I was telling you yesterday that Boris Johnson has parked that in the UK. They were thinking of doing something similar, banning two for one meals. Um, they're just not going to do that for now because people are struggling to put food on the table. And in spite of the fact that it mightn't be the healthiest food, they figure in the UK, well, if people can get two meals for one, leave them off for now because they really are struggling. It's either heat or indeed petrol in the car or food. But the HSC want to drive on with um, anything in the area of, say, for instance, um, uh, meal deals to be made illegal. That probably would include uh, two for ones. You know that the doll, apparently, did anybody know this? Bring uh, it in the mirror this morning, that the doll has no license to serve alcohol. I mean, doesn't that make the doll bar a she bean? So TDs and senators and ministers, they're all drinking in a she-bean. Shouldn't they all be prosecuted for that? Well, Paul Murphy makes this morning's mirror because he wants to shut down. Well, I think he either shut it down or give it a proper license. Meanwhile, a lot of people working from home, they're saying that you could save up to 1400 a year from working from home. This is the independent online this morning. Now, I know that heating has gone up, uh, electricity has gone up, gas has gone up. But where you'll save, apparently, is because you won't be eaten out a lot more when you're... Going to work, you'll be eating at home and that'll be cheaper. And also the cost of the car commute being cut down where you're working remotely means you're not putting as much petrol or diesel in the car. They estimate that it's about 1400 euro saving every single uh, year working from home. And it's, 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 I think this is hay fever season. There's a lovely story in the sun this morning talks about the poor misfortunes who suffer from hay fever. I'd love to talk to you if, for instance, you do and that summer is a nightmare because of hay fever and pollen and what have you. But some of the tips that make the sun this morning is avoid apples, start eating honey, um, have more showers, dab on Vaseline. I'm not quite sure where. I think they say put Vaseline just on the inside of your nostrils. It'll trap dull pollen from getting in. So it mightn't look the cutest, but apparently it works. Uh, Other things then, sip chamomile tea, eat more garlic eat more fruit and fruit and veg, eat more chilli, and apparently have a laugh, or have a good laugh, um, or maybe even a good cry. Clears the sinuses, apparently.
0: Cork's number one talk show, The Neil Prendeville Show, on Red FM. Talk
1: about things that people consume, actually. The Pope has bad knees, apparently. Francis, he's 85 years old now. He's having problems with the knee department. And apparently the doctors are trying to give him all sorts of things like a wheelchair and a cane and physical therapy and medication apparently the man from argentina at the age of 85 all he wants to deal with his knees and to ease the pain and to get him a bit more lubricated is to drink a shot of tequila every day (laughs) apparently he thinks that's the way to go a shot of tequila anyway text 0868104106 pick up the phone on 0818104106 which is exactly what helena has done helena good morning
2: Good morning,
3: Nate. I'm, I'm,
1: I'm good. And you're talking on behalf of all motorists this morning caught in traffic issues down around the tunnel. What's going on? What happened? Do you know?
2: I have no
4: idea. I only heard on the radio maybe that it was a truck that was, you know, too high and that the barriers came down again. But that blocked CMAs. But now the problem has, you know, started backing up the other way because it's back as far as, Kingsdale Road roundabout now whether something else has happened or it's a knock on effect I would assume you
1: know Mother of God and have you been caught in it
4: no 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 thank God I'm a crew area so but okay, listen to it driving up in the morning and as I say there now it's right. back up
3: King's Kingsdale Road roundabout going the opposite way you
1: okay, know okay I, I'm looking at uh, live pictures now it seems to f- it seems to freed up actually I think is it I mean it just looks as if traffic is at least moving again I did hear of some talk of a crash apparently and another text here saying nearly 40 minutes again this morning on the south bore closure of the Jacklyn's Tunnel uh, and, uh, and to see the height of the Arctic trailer that caused it all so while you are right it's an Arctic that brought it down again with a high trailer apparently yeah it's
4: a Mark
1: I don't know. what they
4: I- need a barrier elsewhere before he gets to the tunnel.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether they should just recalibrate the height that's allowed under the tunnel. Did you want to jump in there, Kevin? Yeah. I mean, you're talking about um, showing me pictures of it there, but it looks freer to me. What would you say with the guys? Because you're looking at the live cameras now. What do you make of it?
5: Yeah, I was. I'm looking at some of the live cameras here. Um, it was very, very backed up even five minutes ago. Um, it's kind of easing a small bit, but like ten minutes ago, it was backed all the way almost as far as Cars Hill, um, going all the way back. We could see an our, um, our, our cameras here it was going up over the turn off by road where you would have seen the Rochardown Park and all the way back up past Roachstone and all the way up towards Cardiff. Have Hill tunnel management
1: put up a notice? as to so was it another Arctic that it, tripped the it barrier.
5: It was. I've actually looked into a little bit of it this morning. This is the fifth time it's been triggered since March. Uh, I think it's March twenty eighth. Um, since the end of March, there was only two triggers that I could see on their Twitter in the year previous to that, and in the last, they
1: reduced the height
5: the the, the the height allowance by six inches. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> they they say that they fixed the problem when we talked to them last. Um, they said that the problem was fixed, that it was a, a sensor that had been fixed or was being worked on to it. Um, apparently, yeah, it, apparently it is six inches um, that, that's lower. Now, the barrier, we've had a truck driver even calling us this morning saying that, like, you know, th- there needs to be something done because... You know, the, all of, all of these times trucks have been able to go through. There hasn't been any issue, and now all Why of a sudden, is
1: it, is it always breakfast
5: time for some reason? Or I think it, it might be an issue with signage as well.
6: How oh. that, like they're they're finding out too late, late.
1: the warning, the warning. Okay, I mean, we do, we do remember the most bizarre one, which was the tractor pulling oh, the trailer with three trucks on it. That was <laughs> oh, like something out of a ah, no, I mean, Doctor Seuss, Seuss book. <laughs> absolutely insane. But this time It's just an Arctic,
5: just a normal Arctic, and apparently, like some of the, the Arctics are, as as you say, the regulation to get under the tunnel, but there now because the trailers are now they would too make tall it the they would make it and have made it through but the trigger is being censored the barriers are coming down and everybody else behind them is getting stuck uh, now any chance
1: we could get to talk to Well, we've, we we've, the we've
5: asked of the TII to, to come on now I've asked them in the past
6: and they, 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 they've declined the offer so I've offered again this morning for them to come on now it seems to be clear now the Jack it Lynch tunnel but you have Dennis on line one now who's telling you that on the east
1: uh it's starting to build because of a crash. Okay, Dennis. Hello, good morning. What have you got for me? Thanks, Selena. Appreciate the update. Go ahead, Dennis.
7: Yeah, I came out to the onto the link at Cove and it's it's back going westbound from Cove for you come out from Cove from the Cove junction. Now, I came out there at about quarter to nine, but I still came out the other side of the tunnel going westbound at five past nine. So it is cleared going westbound. Okay, so that will clear in the next ten minutes or so. Yeah, but when I came out the tunnel on the other side, coming west um, eastbound, there's a, 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 an accident between a car and an Arctic. Now the Arctic is just a cab of the Arctic, and from what I can see, they have the whole road blocked off for literally nothing.
1: Okay, it well, I saw a, I saw a text saying that there was a crash after the Mahon turnoff, a uh, truck and a car. Is that the one you were referring that, to, or no?
7: That's it. That's oh. the one. Now, it's only a car and the cab of a truck. They can be put into the house, shoulder, and open it. But no, they have all the inks closed and they've just come in there and it's all the way back to talk or to the magic roundabout tailback. Oh, and man. it's going to get worse. There is no need, Neil, to have it closed. I just came through and looked at it and just take the fucking and the car in off the road. Get it off my- the
1: road. I know what you're yes. saying. I know what you're saying. They, all have right. three
7: of, they, have, they have about two cars and four motorbikes blocking the whole thing and there's no need for it to be blocked at all.
1: All right, Dennis. Fair to everybody gets in touch in emergency situations like this for updates, live updates. Christy. Uh,
6: good, uh, good morning. Uh, just letting let you know, I'm travelling from Dublin to Cork and I've been sitting in traffic for the last 25, 30 minutes between uh, Kilworth and uh, the tunnel here in Cork, uh, traffic was back, backed up. It's just beginning to move now, slowly. Uh, there's also only just one lane as you approach the tunnel from the Dublin side. So it's just its ridiculous. It's madness. But you know, Kilworth, is,
1: Kilworth is miles and miles away. That's, that's north of an I, I
6: Yeah, well, I, I, it's, I, it's just beginning to move now, but there's a huge amount of traffic uh, backed up all the way.
1: And are you moving at all? Or are you moving
6: slowly? About? Just a small amount, but uh, unfortunately, because of the roadworks here, the, uh, the 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 road um, will go into one lane from two lanes, going into one lane as you approach the tunnel. So uh, that's where we're at at the present moment. Okay. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, very, very slow. Yeah, so you're, you're, you're
1: late for whatever appointments you have in Cork then, Christy. Yes. I, I,
6: I, I, well, I, I, I gave myself plenty of time leaving Dublin this morning, but I, 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 thankfully I did give myself plenty of time, but unfortunately now we see the. I'm glad I did.
1: Yeah, watch the, the, the old stress levels, all right? Oh, yeah, I'm not too stressed. Don't <laughs> worry, I don't get too stressed. Thanks for think. calling in. Mind yourself, take you're care, Christy. Welcome. Text 868 John, good morning. How's it going? You've been past that accident. We're talking about the Mahan slip now. Go ahead.
3: Just after the Mahan slip, there's a car after getting caught in the back wheel of a lorry uh, of an artist.
1: Have you any idea how that might have happened?
3: I haven't. I was kind of questioning myself when I was
1: passing by. And I- I'm assuming that nobody was injured or hurt. Do you know? No, no. It didn't look like that anyway. The truck driver was in his own truck and... Uh, do you think? It, okay. Do you think? Do you think it warrants a backup of traffic? Could they have been moved off the road and off that lane faster? Okay, gone, I'm afraid. Sorry about that. But anyway, that's a, another live call passing with the particular accident of Mahan. Now, the TII, these are the people that are in control of the tunnel, have told us that it was another correctly identified overheight vehicle that caused that incident this morning. The Gardaí were there and got the vehicle out of there as quickly as possible. It happened at peak time and caused delays. I'd love to have a chat with them on the air, if at all possible. Because I'm wondering if they're thinking about recalibrating the height restrictions in the tunnel because or else, as Seamus correctly pointed out, perhaps, um, you know, have better alert systems in place to warn earlier to get off that you're not going to get through the tunnel. I mean, truck and Arctic drivers aren't stupid. So if they're seeing alarms and seeing alerts and seeing warnings, why are they continuing if they're seeing them? to try and get through the tunnel. Anyway, text on that, text 868 104 Calls on the way. My apologies to Michael Gear and Back after these.
0: Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 818
1: 106
0: Red FM. Here's
1: what I'd say to the ITT, and I'd say it respectfully to them. What a texter has said to me here just makes perfect sense. Neil, the problem constantly is the warning system for a high truck. The warning should be at the start of the slip road, not at the start of the tunnel entrance. It's a joke. So the signage, the warnings in the wrong places should be way back. So there's lots more time to get off a slip. See it in time. Text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six on that. Wow, it's busy with traffic. This is my Paul. Good morning Neil, oh, how are you? Good, so I heard of a, an accident between a, a truck and a car at the Mahan exit. You have another one, is it? That's
3: correct. Um, I just took the turn off. I've been sitting in the link road for the last 10 minutes uh, heading towards town. I took the Slip road for Roachestown, and on the opposite carriageway, on the corners, you'd come down from Carrigaline direction down into uh, uh, Roachestown. I know. There's it. four cars uh, stuck. Uh, there's been a crash there, so there's four cars. So just warn people coming down the hill to slow down.
1: Four cars crashed?
3: Correct. Well, there's definitely two of them smashed, but there's another two cars parked as well, so there's four cars in total.
1: Okay, all right. Um, yeah, I see Garda cars on that as well now. One of the cameras, yeah. Uh,
3: I haven't seen any Garda car there. there were, I'd say they just happened.
1: Yeah, we're well, looking at live pictures now. I am seeing Garda cars, squad car, there, big uh, SUV. Any idea what that would happen? Would you think it might have to do with driving too close?
3: Could have been driving too close or distraction. You know, um, people looking at the, the, the. I don't know whether you can see all the tailbacks. As you drive down that direction on on the link, um, you know, it's very easy for somebody to get distracted. And, of course, people don't realize when they're traveling, uh, especially at speed, how easy it is to have a collision.
1: And it only takes a split second, doesn't it?
3: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you're caught there now or is it moving again or what?
3: No, I was in the opposite carriageway, so I'm down, gone down into Rochester now, so the the traffic is flowing freely in that direction going
1: right. down. Okay, I'm actually seeing a video of the Mahan crash there now, I've just been sent it with a car, one, two, what is that, how many cars is that, anybody know? One car, is it? One car into the back of the uh, cab, yeah, one car into the, in two different lanes, I don't know if he trying to change lanes or something, but he ended up crashing into the back of the cab of an Arctic um, Thankfully, no one was injured. Could have gone out through the windscreen of that car, you know. Anyway, listen. Thanks for that. Appreciate the updates, guys, and you in particular as well, John. Thanks for that. Sorry, Paul. I should say thank you. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Pick up the phone on oh eight one eight one zero four one zero six. My sincerest apologies to Michael Geeran uh, from Koonvura uh, Brewery. Uh, I had wanted to talk to him yesterday and didn't get around to it. He joins me by phone. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Originally, uh, and a lot of water's flown under the bridge since yesterday morning, I had just wanted to talk to you about issues regarding Xanax, uh, particularly young people, because I got an email in saying my teenage son suffers with social anxiety. So much so we are awaiting an appointment with a therapist. In the meantime, my doctor wants to put him on Xanax. I know it may help in the short term but I've heard so many scary stories. I want what's best for my son, but I wonder where he will be in a few years because these sedatives are hard to come off. And I saw an article that was done by Liz Dunphy and your good self, where you described the Xanax is a benzodiazepine, isn't it?
8: Yes, that's correct. You, Xanax is a reasonably fast-acting benzodiazepine that is primarily used in the treatment of anxiety. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, but,
1: yeah. yeah. And you call it a little ticking time bomb.
8: Yes, and I suppose that comment, Neil, was, was was motivated by a lot of cases we had seen coming out of Cork um, where people were benzodiazepine dependent and had been dependent on benzos for a number of years um, with quite debilitating consequences. Um, and particularly when these people who were dependent on benzos mixed it with alcohol, you've got all sorts of things happening and all sorts of... <clears throat> unpredictable and, and um, behaviour that got them into trouble. And I'll so drill so into yeah.
1: that in a moment, but it was very interesting because in the article that I read at length, you spoke of two distinct cohorts. You say the people who were originally prescribed benzodiazepines become so addicted that they have to supplement and buy more on the streets.
8: Yeah, we have seen a lot of cases of that where people have been prescribed them for a condition in a clinical setting. But then because of building up tolerance and so on, they ended up in a situation where they had to supplement them with street-bought drugs. And benzodiazepines are as tradable in the illicit drug market as any of the other drugs that we would talk about, like cocaine and heroin and so
1: on and so forth. That's scary. Did you see the docudrama Dope Sick? I did, yeah. Okay. And, um, can, you see that, any, that, can you see any correlation there between OxyContin and what happened to people who were prescribed that in America had it withdrawn then by their GP and had to get it from dealers?
8: Well, yes and no, I suppose the, the, there wouldn't have been the same issues. I think doctors, in fairness, at this stage are extremely responsible in benzodiazepines prescribing. Um, more so, they may not have had awareness in the years gone by as
1: to the dangers of it. But why um, would but a GP suggest putting a teenage son with anxiety on Xanax?
8: Well, the only... without Now, there's a few things I need to point out Neil, before ahead. I answer that one. First one, I'm not a doctor. Um, but I would You are an
1: addiction counsellor, though.
8: I am. Yeah. I am. But from a medical point of view, I wouldn't be qualified. But I could see a case whereby that young person could be very debilitated by anxiety and that there is a possibility... That the doctor may prescribe a very low dose for a very short duration to stabilize that patient and that in itself there wouldn't be any anything wrong with i suppose the issue with benzodiazepines and not that it's happening to a great extent now would be indiscriminate repeat prescribing so it would be quite common for somebody who would be acutely um, and profoundly affected by anxiety to go to a doctor with, with that problem, and then they might prescribe a, benzo- a short-term benzodiazepine treatment in order to stabilize the person's okay. therapy.
1: Okay, I mean, you won't comment on this, but I do know of cases in the past in Cork where there was at least one doctor who went completely and utterly rogue with prescribing, and these PQs be cues outside it. Others now talk of doctor's surgeries being robbed of prescription pads. You've heard that?
8: Yes, we've heard of cases where, where things like that happen. But I think in fairness, the general the, the population of doctors in Cork and elsewhere have become very responsible in terms of the prescribing of benzos. But at the same time, benzos are a drug that need to be treated with the greatest of respect okay. because they can have profound effects in okay. terms of
1: dependence. Niall says by text, it is true that Xanax can be addictive and hard to quit. However, if somebody says if somebody, say, for instance, suffers from panic attacks, a single tablet can pretty much zap the panic attack. For some people, the reassurance of knowing that they have a way of getting out of the anxiety or the panic attack is enough to reassure them and can even help to keep anxiety at bay. Um, so he's talking about when it really is needed. But when it's prescribed, say for instance, to teenagers, people, people who are underage and still, still children, you say that it can cause mayhem on the streets,
8: Yeah, well, I suppose a lot of the cases of people who are benzodependent that we meet would be people who encountered benzos in their teenage years. And generally speaking, amongst that cohort, they were street-bought benzos.
1: Never prescribed. They were just...
8: yeah. yeah, Yeah, they weren't prescribed. They were bought in the same way that they would have bought other illicit drugs. But they would tell you that the benzos were the most problematic of the substances that they were taking, and very often these people would present taking three or four things simultaneously, but okay. the benzos would be their highest concern
1: okay um could it be you know when we hear of court reports and young people before the courts for for crazy, violent behavior that we we just can't understand could could it be benzos?
8: Certainly clients would say to us that when they meet benzos and alcohol, they tend to behave in ways that are totally out of character. Sometimes engaging in behaviour or committing acts that would end up with them being before the courts, yes. So certainly a mix of benzodiazepine and alcohol is a cocktail for the disaster, really and truly.
1: They have a nickname, don't they, Um, benzos, particularly Xanax, I suppose. They're called charge sheets. They call. I, I. I think they. They
8: referred to. Cha- I think they referred to the combination of alcohol and as charge
1: heat Yes. That it will get you into trouble and you will end up in a. I mean, there, there's there's case histories in the article with Liz Dumphy where you have people waking up in cells after a blackout and they have no idea why they're there.
8: Yeah, and I suppose that's the scary part about it, and that clients often report to us when they find themselves in these situations, they actually have no recollection of what they have done. Um. But it's important to point out, Neil, that the majority of these cases result from street-bought benzodiazepines rather than any medical professionals operating in any way that's unscrupulous because that isn't the case.
1: And those street-bought ones, then, are they a different benzodiazepine that would be prescribed by a GP in the sense that are they're counterfeit or dodgy?
8: Well, they're counterfeit, and by virtue of the fact that they're counterfeit, we can't say with any degree of certainty what might be in them. So anybody who is buying street-bought benzodiazepines or for that matter anything else runs the risk that there is some contaminant in that product that could cause them serious harm. So they need to be very careful in that respect.
1: But I'm just, I know I referenced Dope Sick, but you do say in the article that people who are prescribed benzos are supplementing with street-bought tablets and then you have the people fully relying on street-bought benzodiazepine to, to feed their habit. Why would they have to? Is it that they become so addicted to it to the, to the Xanax or whatever the GP's given them, that it's not strong enough, the dose, anymore, is it?
8: That's, you see, it's a phenomenon across all addictions that as people progress with the addiction, they develop tolerance. And as a person develops tolerance to any substance, no matter what it might be, they tend to need more of it to get the same effect. And you see similar parallels with things like alcohol and street drugs as well, where somebody would start out taking so much per day or whatever the case might be. But because their tolerance to the particular substance builds up, up, they start taking more and more and more. And that's the reason why you see sometimes people who might be taking benzodiazepines on a regular basis prescribed, topping up
1: that supply from street sources. Is there a chance they would have gone back to the GP uh, looking for a higher dose or more tablets, for instance?
8: Well, in some cases they may have, but obviously GPs would be responsible in that regard and there would be a maximum dose which they wouldn't exceed, which is quite rightly the case.
1: Would a GP who saw somebody struggling with addictions then withdraw the prescription and and in a sense make things worse?
8: I can't answer that question. I would imagine that if somebody went into a GP and said to them that they had developed a problem with the medication, that the GP would assist them in every way that they could in terms of stabilising them from a medical point of view and then referring them to somebody like ourselves. And, and why health. is
1: it such an acute problem in Cork? You referenced that um, per capita, benzo dependence across the country is highest on the north side of Cork City.
8: Yeah, there has, for some reason, there, there are very, well, at least there were very high. I have no up-to-date figures, but there was a time a number of years ago when benzodiazepine dependence in the north side of Cork City was the highest in Ireland. Um, why that was the case, I don't know, but it certainly was true that there was an extremely high and an extremely serious problem with benzodiazepines
1: at that time. Um, yeah, but what what type of of of, uh, of patient are, are we talking about? Somebody with a, an addiction to street drugs? Are you talking about a high? Are you talking about a high amount of people who are being prescribed benzos on the north when side we were, by GPS? I'd
8: say, we, I'd say we were more so talking about a street issue, and we were talking about individuals who were poly substance addicted which means that we're taking more than one thing, but within that polysubstance matrix, benzos would be rating very higher at the highest of
1: that situation. Okay. So, they're as tradable as, as anything, are they? They're as tradable as ecstasy, they're as tradable as cocaine, they're as tradable as, as heroin? Absolutely as tradable as anything. And are you seeing young people presenting um, for addiction counselling and treatment?
8: Well, I mean, we don't deal with under-18s, but it wouldn't be no, it would be anything unusual for us to see somebody coming into us in their early 20s who would report to us their first age use of drugs would be as young as 14 or 15, with maybe benzodiazepines coming into the mix at 16, 17, 18.
1: Ira, have one of these tablets and um, have a swig of the vodka kind of thing start. Yeah, isn't?
8: because they, they have benzodiazepines have become part of the area's drug scene in the same way that cocaine and cannabis and heroin have. It. So there is no distinction really between the drug being amongst the drug-dependent population between the fact that they are also a prescription medication that is very efficacious in actual effect. And to go back to the texter that wrote in there, he was absolutely right in that somebody who suffers from anxiety, Xanax is a very effective medication Stopping an episode of anxiety if you take it. From yeah, but the not air. when
1: you have case histories of people taking 10, 20, 30 a day.
8: No, absolutely not. No, but I'm saying in the person that presents that's non addictive, yeah, but yeah. yet suffering from anxiety.
1: Okay, because what happens then? Apparently, it, it, it is said that benzos are the most common prescription drug group implicated in more overdose deaths than any other substance.
8: Yes, and that's a very interesting statistic, I believe, from the the uh, from the drug deaths in Ireland index that there is an extremely high percentage of the people who die from drug poisonings that benzodiazepines are a factor. They may not be the only factor, but they are in there in a very high percentage of cases, which is, again, very concerning information.
1: And also, from the point of view of criminality and getting into trouble with the law and, and things like that, It's a given then that mixing benzos with alcohol will inevitably lead to violence, aggression um, and conflict, will it? And crime.
8: Well, it's not inevitable, but it's extremely highly likely that somebody who might be abusing simultaneously alcohol and benzodiazepines might behave in a manner that would cause them to engage in a violent act or get in some other trouble from a criminal perspective. So that wouldn't be at all unusual.
1: And so, what advice w- would you be giving to to parents? And because children do get stressed and anxious, particularly around exams or, or career choices, or you know, sexuality, or you know, many many issues that play on their minds, what would the advice be? Well, the
8: advice would be that, like, first
1: of all, the most important thing is to create an open
8: communication culture within the home where people feel that they don't have to bottle up things and that they can talk about them in an uninhibited way. And if, if the parent has any concerns, should the adolescent go to see a doctor about medications that they're prescribing, they should certainly speak to them and seek reassurance around it. But I will go back and say what I said at the start of the the, the interview, Neil, that if somebody is being prescribed Xanax for a very short period of time to stabilise them, to move on to another therapeutic type of approach to deal with their anxiety, there is a very low likelihood in that case that they will develop a dependence.
1: Okay, well said. Um, what kind of what kind of tradable price is there for uh, um, a Benzo or, a, say, for instance, a Xanax tablet on the market, the black market? I'm
8: open to correction, but I think a Xanax one milligram tablet could have a tradable value of, I don't know is it two euros or five euros per tablet, but they are definitely sold on the street and they are sold...
1: Tablets are being sold that are evidently fake. If you
8: understand, I do
1: I mean. know what you mean. Uh, yeah. I, I I mentioned that actually because of a text. Can you ask Michael if he's ever heard of Carousel? It's the latest prescription tablet being sold for two euro a tablet yeah. or thirty euro to get uh, to get enough for a trip. I don't even know what that means. It's particularly being yeah. sold on the north side.
8: Yeah, I've heard of them. I think they're called KS K S O L, and they are referred to in street drug parlance as cassels and they're a some kind of a counterfeit knock benzodiazepine that's supposed to resemble Xanax. And again, people have reported to us that they have felt extremely ill in the aftermath of taking them. So the the, the withdrawals from them are quite
1: quite severe. Um, that kind of abuse can also lead to brain damage, right? I would
8: imagine so, yeah. I haven't seen many cases of it, but if somebody keeps doing it for long enough... Um, Absolutely, it could do, Glassingham., Okay,
1: um, listen, just before I let you go, and thank you for always being available, front of the papers this morning talk about teenage problem gamblers. They're suggesting a ban on gambling ad- adverts before 9pm. Gambling adverts are everywhere now, radio, particularly, newspapers, television, I don't know, billboards, sponsorship. Uh, how bad's it got?
8: It's bad enough. I mean, our admissions for gambling over the past five years as an organisation have doubled. It used to be 4% of our admissions were problematic gambling. Now it's 7 And we are seeing a kind of a trend emerging where young drug-dependent men in particular, and sometimes women but mostly men, are presenting to us with both a drug problem and an online gambling problem at the one time, which is, from all, our from all point of view, from a treatment and rehabilitation right. point of view, It's about as bad a situation as you can get. Yeah,
1: but why would they be combined? How come that would result in a combination?
8: Well, the only reason I can come up for Neil is that these people in the first instance may start developing an unhealthy relationship with drugs. And they are very strongly connected to electronic devices. And electronic devices in this day and age are absolutely bombarded with opportunities and advertisements to gamble. So I think it's kind of a perfect storm in that the, the gambling products are so accessible now that that um, when somebody is the, under the influence, maybe they they start in that way. But there is whatever the connection is. I can certainly tell you there is an upswing amongst the younger substance dependent population. And there is a distinct increase in the number of them that are reporting gambling
1: problems. So, so tech has led to easy access, you know, a mobile phone, a smartphone, a, a laptop or whatever, to online gambling at the click of a mouse. Um, there's very, I, I'm told also they're trying to tighten up issues like around um, uh, um, identification, being able to prove age, um, you know, warnings that gambling companies would give to people if they suspect that they become problem gamblers. But I've noticed with a lot of young people now that they do gamble a lot on their smartphones, but they also engage in stocks, shares and Bitcoin and things like that. Is, is all that a worry?
8: Well, yeah, well, it is a worry. And I suppose the biggest worry from my point of view Neil, is that probably the most unscrupulous operators from a gambling point of view are outside of Ireland. So, therefore, any work that the committee is doing, and it's doing wonderful work at the moment in terms of regulation, will only affect Irish companies. And Irish companies historically have been the most responsible in terms of not trying to necessarily draw in young people and that kind of thing. And the
1: web is a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah. So, If they're I overseas, to... they're untouchable, is it?
8: That's what I'm saying. Yeah
1: yeah so because the, because Google will bring you to anywhere in the world, it all, all you need, all you need is a credit card or a debit card.
8: Yes, and there are very, in some cases very targeted, active, almost aggressive advertising campaigns directed at certain demographics of society with various games and so on. I remember somebody telling me recently that they were on an online app watching a match, a premiership match in in mm. England. And that during the course of that match there were open a hundred opportunities to place a bet. In other words, you could have a bet in the first free, the first corner, the first goal, the first yellow card, and all these other type of permutations. So gambling companies in that case were creating countless opportunities within one sporting event, you know, for people to bet. And that can be all very tempting for somebody. It's a
1: very nasty, vicious addiction, isn't it, gambling?
8: It is. It's a very hard one to handle. And I suppose what's making it harder to handle are the constant reminders now that you see in terms of advertising and so on, where gambling is more or less in your face all the time, whether you are on a computer or looking at a television as a sporting event
1: at least. Listen, thanks for taking the call as always. Food for thought. I want to get some t- calls and texts on the air after 10. But thank you as always, Michael. Uh, and continued success with your work. Michael Girin, the addiction counselor in Coonvora Brewery. You can text 0868 104 106. And indeed, if you feel that you may need help, uh, or perhaps you might know of somebody that might need help, Gamblers Anonymous are at the end of the phone on 087. This is the cork number Gamblers Anonymous 087 087- 285 9552
9: I'm Rory and I'm Valerie and you can join us for the very best in local, national and international
0: sport every weekend on the Big Red Bench That's the Big Red Bench every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brindaville Show now. 086-8104-106.
1: Red FM. Now, big, big response uh, so far this week to my giveaway to uh, Paris with return flights for two from Cork with Vueling Airlines. So you got accommodation sorted for you and whomever you choose to take with you. In Paris, a 200 euro voucher for the loop. Access to the Aspire Executive Lounge at Cork Airport while awaiting your flight. And if you're driving up there, free parking at the Airport for the duration of your trip. And the airport now has 40 schedule routes uh, serving eight airlines. This summer and uh, welling fly from Cork to Paris early three times a week should you choose to fly with them. I flew with them in Spain last week, a fabulous airline, beautiful planes. So the idea here is that you text or email your most memorable holiday moment. It can be anything from your childhood or going out with pals or heading away on your first son holiday with your family or indeed your buddies. It could be, you know, leaving cert holiday. It could be your first holiday as a, as a, as a married person, as a couple with children, whatever the case may be. So text. text. Text or email, text 0868104106, email neil at redfm.ie. Now I have lots of texts and emails and I want to get to those across the morning this morning. So I'll be giving it an awful lot more time. I'll be coming back to the topic we were talking about uh, before 10 o'clock a little later on. But this is very time sensitive. I want to do this now. Can I just tell you that 100 years ago today, 100 years ago today, we got our city back from the British after... I don't know, 700 years of occupation and grief and drama and death and upset and sadness. A and hundred years ago today, we got Cork City back from the British. We became a republic, we became independent, we became free. I think it's an incredible statement to make because uh, it was 100 years ago today and they are marking that this morning at um the barracks at Collins Barracks. And if you want to get up there, it's still not too late. It's, it's open to the public. So 100 years ago today, the British marched out and the Irish marked it, marched in. I want to chat with uh, the curator of Collins Barracks Museum, Sergeant Dennis McGarry. On that incredible day a hundred years ago, today after the break.
0: Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on O eight one eight one oh four one oh
1: six Red FM. A very special good morning to you, Sergeant Dennis McGarry at Collins' Barracks. How are you? I'm very well. And this and England, m- yourself. I'm good. This my friend is a very, very big day because it was on this day a hundred years ago that the official handover from the British to the Irish uh, of Collins's barracks, what a day! Um, uh, can we? Can I just ask you a little bit about what the what the sense uh, and the atmosphere would have been like in Cork ahead of the handover hundred years ago today?
10: Um, well, I suppose firstly, uh, Neil, um, the eighteenth of May, nineteen twenty-two, when one considers um, Irish-British relations, and um, there certainly in Cork City. There's a sense of, of joy. There's a sense of fear that possibly the treaty won't follow through, and possibly we they'll, they'll go back to to war. Mm. But certainly, um, people in Cork City viewed the 18th of May 1922 with with hope, but also a, a, a sense of fear. When we talk about the, the the 18th of May, the handing over of the barracks, yeah, and the sense the sense of I suppose. Excitement and a sense of fear with people in Cork City in relation to what, what this would mean. Yes, the British are leaving um, after 100, 116 years in Victoria Barracks. But also, how this would play out, not just in Ireland, but how would it, it would play out overseas. So, do you want to just back into the 18th
1: of May? Yeah, I mean, it was the 18th of May, 1922, and I was reading in the history of Connors Barracks that the significance of this can't be underestimated because, as the barracks itself is saying, this was a defining moment for the people of Cork as it marked the end of British rule in Cork City. And that must have been an incredible thing after after 700 years. Oh, absolutely. And,
10: And as I said, um, 1806, the Barracks opened here, Victoria Barracks opened in 1806, and the 18th of May, 116 years, mm. that's the end of it. And mm. when you consider what has happened during those years, it certainly is uh, extremely important. And the sense, I suppose, within the the, the IRA, um, you talk about um, the various uh, periods of history and, and the fighting against British rule, yeah. British military, auxiliaries, yeah. black and tans. Now all of a sudden the politicians the deal is done and the British are actually leaving, and leaving you, on the 18th.
1: And do you have any do you have any history there any documentation that was left by the British as to say how they felt on that day or how Major General Strickland I, I, who I believe Strickland I, I, wasn't the nicest guy in the world sure he wasn't no,
10: Peter Strickland Peter Strickland was the, the divisional commander here. Yeah. Now that would be similar to a general officer commanding a brigade Munster, or or in that sense now peter strickland was was absolutely um shocked at the speed in which um the decision was made to withdraw british troops out of ireland and and the speed in which they wanted these these milit- british military to leave so peter strickland had um, a, he, some of his papers he he had a, a major issue with it um he said that their the decision is made but the speed in which they're being withdrawn yeah. was, was a huge issue. Then. So he
1: would have been there, for instance, during uh, the tenure of the burning of Cork, the arrival of the Tans, oh, the arrival of the Auxiliaries, the arrest of um, um, McSweeney, the shooting of McCurtain, all of that.
10: He would be... Peter Strickland would have been in situ there. So when you talk about what, what he's seen happening in the city, what, what the military, the British military... Um, did in Cork City and for it to be uh, I suppose a treat, the signing of the treaty on the 6th of December 1921 um, and the speed in which the decision was made to withdraw troops like the RIC were more or less disbanded yeah. the British Army w- marched out on the 18th of May Yeah, um, and when you consider you're talking about what was happening on the day that the British Army left yeah and you have Captain Hugh McNeill coming from Beggars Bush Barracks in Dublin.
1: So now, he drove? He did he drive Cap- in with members of the Provisional Government and the Free State Army through the gates? Is it no?
10: What actually happened at approximately five PM? Captain Hugh McNeill, uh, na- a National Army officer as well as a government representative, arrived at the gates of Victoria Barracks. Wow! Now. They arrived with it, with an advance party from the Cork Number One Brigade of the IRA. Yeah, and he was the guy that was taking the handover. So it is Hugh Captain Hugh McNeil is the person that's taking over Victoria Barracks.
1: Right, right, right.
10: And at the gate, he's met by Captain GJ Mahoney, uh, a British military officer, who escorts him on an inspection of Victoria Barracks. And while they're moving around, they're also looking at inventories because. Certain items, it could be furniture or fittings, were actually being left behind. I wonder how British I, I wonder how
1: Mahoney out. would have felt about bringing an o- O'Neill around. It's like me bringing somebody and giving somebody my home, isn't it?
10: Uh, absolutely, but I suppose you and I, in hindsight, you're thinking uh, with all that's gone on and in relation to to British rule in Cork and, and and the IRA, um, this is this is Captain Hugh McNeill is, is a, a professional soldier. So he's coming with a government representative, and it's a process.
1: It's official, it's is a, it? It's, it's a very a official thing. It's uh, would, would, oh, he, ab- ab- would he? Have fe- would you have felt that? Would you have felt a sense of victory, McNeil? Would you have felt, felt, felt a sense of excitement or one-upmanship?
10: I suppose we'd be doing it a service to say that he felt one-upmanship. It's it's it was a long the War of Independence was a long drawn-out affair. Um, um, absolutely, some of the, the the events that happened over that course of, of our history. We know when we, we th- say we're talking yeah. our, our collective history.
1: Um, so, so, did one did the Union Jack come down then? Because I heard that the British Army under Strickland cut the flagpole. Is that right, Sergeant?
10: Yes, yes, they did. And uh, Captain McNeil was questioned that decision by the British military to cut the flagpole down. And he was told that it's customary when they leave a military barracks or post that they cut the flagpole down. So yes, they did cut the flagpole down and they, the Union Jack was put in the back of one of the vehicles and and that was it.
1: And they left... And, of course, as I say, as we've covered already, the provisional government, the Free State Army went in in their place. Um, And as the fellow says, the rest is history. We were then looking down the barrel of civil war. But at the time, then, of course, and this isn't your remit or your area. I'm only just mentioning it as, uh, uh, you know, because it's significant. The city was still recovering from the burning and the burning of Cork and Patrick Street probably and many of the streets were probably under a lot of construction at the time because they were decimated in, in 1920. So all that was going on as well, wasn't it?
10: Now, can I just go back, Neil, just one second? When we're talking about um, Captain Hugh McNeil receives the keys of Victoria Barracks from a Captain J.J. Mahey, a British officer whose responsibility was the handover of the barracks. Yeah. Now, Captain McNeil... Handed the keys to Commandant Sean O'Haggerty, and he's OC Cork Number no. One Brigade of the IRA. Right. So Captain McNeil, representing the government, Went. representing the military from Beggars Bush Barracks in Dublin, localized hands it, it over to yeah. a Cork man.
1: Yeah, localized it. Fantastic, so, isn't it? So
10: yeah. So so Commandant uh, Sean O'Haggerty, he in turn hands the keys over to Commandant Sean Murray and Commander Sean Murray ended up becoming the first Irish commanding officer of
1: what was Victoria Barracks. Obviously now is, is Collins Barracks. And then was changed subsequently some years later to Collins Barracks. In fact, uh, I, I know other significant moments within the history of the barracks under Irish rule uh, and Irish occupation, obviously, as, 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 as the Republic of Ireland would have been the visit of President John F. Kennedy in 63, wouldn't it?
10: In, in June of 1963. Yeah. Now, I suppose... When we're talking about um, when we fly through the names, when the barracks opened in 1806, the British referred to it as new barracks. Then it was Cork Barracks. Victoria Barracks in 1901, the death of Queen Victoria. In uh, 1923, the government decided we'd call it Michael Barracks because the National Museum now, Collins Barracks in Dublin, had been named after the, 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 the chairman of the provisional government, the commander-in-chief being Michael Collins. Yeah. And in 1925, we changed to Collins Barracks. President Kennedy's visit here, um, well, I suppose when we talk about our connection, and, and certainly President Kennedy's connection to Ireland, that was that was a, a huge affair for Cork.
1: And I know that one of the other great achievements at Collins Barracks, having visited it myself, is the Military Museum, uh, particularly the significance of it regarding uh, General Michael Collins. That really is the jewel in the crown, isn't it?
10: Certainly is, um, uh, as the curator here in in Collins Barracks Museum. Um, I deal with a lot of young men and women from UCC, overseas visitors, and indeed men and women from Cork, from Ireland, who who visit the museum. And certainly uh, the Collins Room, it gives gives, uh, an overview on key periods or key events in Michael Collins' life from his formative years in West Cork, to his role in the GPO in
0: 1916.
10: Oh, yeah, is yeah. His leadership and direction during the course of the War of Independence, and you have, unfortunately, we're going to the, the Civil War and Bail and the Blah, but there's a number of items um, on display belong to Collins, one being his, his his diary that he had on his person when his remains were brought from Bail and the to Shanakil Hospital in Corp and his pistol um, is on display. The original cross that mapped the spot where he died in Belle Nabla is in the museum on display. So with all the board the information boards, it gives people who may not have a, 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 a high level of knowledge about, about Michael Collins or about these key events in our history. Yes. It gives them an overview so they get a broad understanding. Now if it was you and I or somebody sitting down that has a good knowledge of Irish history and we're sitting back and we're talking about the political background, the military aspect of it. We could we could talk for hours.
1: Without a doubt, we could. But and I know that there are other wonderful things to uh, to view there. His great coat is there. Uh, his War of Independence medal is there. His rosary beads, Correct. as you say. Most importantly, I suppose of all, would be his personal diary on the day. Do you have any? Do you have any plans to mark his 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 killing, his shooting, on the twenty second of August coming?
10: No. I suppose from from a, a planning point from the, for the defence forces, and um, I wouldn't go into that kind of like that will be something that'll be decided. It's under discussion.
1: Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. This it, isn't it, that
10: will it. be decided by people closer to there. But um, when well, it will be the one hundredth
1: anniversary of his death and the barracks named after him. Yeah, I'm quite is, sure it's significant to the barracks. Without a doubt, it would be. Uh,
10: yeah. Yeah. And but but again, like you and I discussing this here on this important day... We're, we're we're focusing more more on, I understand. on the, the 18th of May.
1: And so on this day, the 18th of May 2022, is, is there is of course um, a ceremonial parade and there's a marking of the transfer of power to the Irish uh, upon this day. Is it is it open to the public and what will happen?
10: Yes, Neil, it is open to the public and the the programme of, of events will be and um, there'll be a number of stands surrounding the square and um, different units putting their equipment on display for, for members of the public. The, the original gates, uh, directly at the top of Military Hill. We will, we will have members of the garrison here will march back up in formation as, as the cork brigade of the IRA did, um, on the 18th of May. Fantastic. So it, that'll be symbolic. Um, in relation to taking over the barracks. Hopefully, weather permitting, the the Air Corps will be doing a flyover and there'll be many, many uh, schools have shown an interest. So there's a number of different schools will be bringing young men and women in um, so we can, basically, we can celebrate our history.
1: It's going to be a wonderful morning. I wish you the best of luck. Um, Have a great one. Uh, it is, uh, you know, I was going to say it's a long time coming, but <laughs> it probably is one hundred yeah. years later to be looking back at a at a different city and the start of the birth of a nation. I mean, it's incredibly significant; it really is.
10: But it 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 is absolutely, um, you know, it, it, Irish history. We have a wonderful history. We've, we've there's issues, of course, in in every country's history, hmm. but we 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 celebrate our history and and hopefully and um, with members of the public being afforded the opportunity to come into Collins Barracks um they'll they'll have an enjoyable day we can have a chat and explain a little bit about our, our history our military history and going forward we can we can celebrate many more events uh, as as people as Cork people
1: half 10 start isn't it
10: half 10 start um again as i said weather, well the show the program will go ahead um So people will be arriving from half ten on and the programme will be running till maybe three
1: o'clock. Have a good day. Enjoy the day. Congratulations. 100th anniversary. Sergeant Dennis McGarry, thanks for taking the call.
0: Niall, a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. To Neil Prenderville now, 0818-104-106, Cork's
1: Red FM. Incredible day, 100 years ago today. Uh, Interesting text on this. Bob says, yes, indeed. And of course, way back then, Cork City then ripped up a beautiful tram system after the Brits left Uh, Says Bob, well, you're absolutely right there. Unfortunately, we could do with it now, couldn't we? We really and truly could do with the tram system that was in our beautiful city way back then. My grandfather, John, Jack, he used to be called, John Jack O'Shea. He used to say a few months before Collins was shot that he walked into Victoria barracks with them. When he was just 15, just wondering if this was the day a 100 years ago today. My grandfather uh, was 15 in October of 1921 and Collins was shot in August of uh, uh, 22. My grandfather never said a date, but it was a great story he told us. It would be great if someone out there knew more about whether my grandfather was there on the day. You'd need to find out, because um, I don't think, and I've opened a correction on that, I don't think that Michael Collins walked through the barricades today, 100 years ago. I mean, that would be very significant. I think we'd, we'd know about that. Maybe he did, but you never know who might know. Um, uh, the uh, issue with regards to um, the people that were in charge of the barracks at the time included Monty, you know, the very famous General Montgomery uh, in the, who went on to uh, to do a lot in the in the Second World War. And Desi reminds that he says uh, on the night that Cork burned, uh, Sergeant Montgomery was the British sergeant in charge of what would have been Victoria Barracks at the time that night. And 25 years later, he was General Montgomery Monty in the Second World War. Says Desi, <laughs> and of course the the piece of this day. 100 years ago today of course was 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 short-lived because it didn't take long then for the two factions uh, within the you know Irish Defence Forces to split into the Free State Army and the IRA and that of course led to the civil war and the civil war was a consequence of Ireland being split about the treaty and issues involving giving the six counties or allowing the British to hold on to six counties so while today probably was a day of celebration Uh, That celebration would have been short-lived, wouldn't it? Because we headed in then, of course, uh, to civil war. And that also included, of course, the assassination of Collins later in 1922. Uh, I think it was August 1922, uh, almost 100 years ago. So um, no doubt we'll be doing something on that. Um, On tomorrow's program, I'll be chatting with uh, the Cork historian Tom Spaulding because there's a very interesting event happening on uh, Lisa, tomorrow he's going to tell us more about it. It will be uh, the 120th anniversary of the Cork exhibition. Now, I'm flying, flying solo on this. I don't have notes for it, but if I remember correctly, Cork had had the, the, the great exhibition at least twice. I think probably 1902, and, and maybe again sometime later. But it was a huge event in Cork, actually, um, and took up what would now be known to most of us as. Fitzgerald's Park so any more on the programme on that tomorrow another huge event on Leaside uh, and we'll be marking that anniversary text 0868104106 pick up the phone on 0818104106 and if you don't mind before I go back to calls um, I was talking this morning about um, uh, benzos and benzodiazepines that are either prescribed by GPs or traded in the black market uh, dealers are trading them And they're very, very accessible to anybody who wishes to use and abuse them. But the original text actually was from somebody who said that their son was suffering from social anxiety. Uh, The doctor wants to put him on Xanax. A lot of texts on this. Try to get him into a gym. It might build his confidence and you would be amazed what it will do for his mind. Exercise, gym, pumping weights, running, stuff like that. Meds have their role to play, but I would ensure that once they're on uh, meds that they're availing of other sports uh, like CBT, art therapy, uh, meditation, yoga, counselling. I imagine you'd probably include the gym in that. Meds for mental health issues don't fix the problem generally. All they'll do is lessen the symptoms. So a dual approach is needed, says Ryan. Thank you for that. Interesting thought. Um, there are other options um, rather than benzodiazepines. The damage those meds do to a human can be irreversible. Some people can overcome all of this with therapeutic help instead. Angela says, it could be helpful. Anxiety is not easy to deal with. It could help your son. Uh, It was one of my own. If it was one of my own, I'd avoid a prescription for um, benzodiazepines as much as possible. There's no easy answer, but wish you the best of Luxus on. One of the first duties of the physician, Neil, is to educate the masses not to take medicine, says Mar. Uh, Xanax can get addictive. Uh, see, can you get another option instead? Uh, one or two more. I'm on and off Xanax for 25 years now. OCD, social anxiety, claustrophobia. I'm on and off Xanax for 25 years. I never became addicted. I only take them when I have bad periods. Uh, I can take it for months and then be off it for years with no problem. Everyone is different, but don't be against medication, It can help a lot. Bridget says, um, um, you shouldn't be on them for years, just for short periods. Ask about other options for treating anxiety. Um, Another one, my doctor doesn't prescribe benzos. He has a notice up in his practice, says Helen. Uh, Xanax should only be used as a PRN. Now, forgive me for not knowing what a PRN is, uh, but Xanax is a controlled drug. If someone gets a really bad panic attack or an attack of severe anxiety... Uh, where talking doesn't help then yes xanax can be a solution it helps and it calms the mind for a time so you can rest medication along with talk therapy can work in conjunction uh, with uh, each working with each other if you have bad pain you'll take a pain med why suffer in a crisis when there is some help available. Uh, and a final one, it is true that Xanax can be addictive and hard to quit. However, if somebody says suffer some panic attacks, a single tablet can pretty much zap it. A lot of text there to 0868104106. I want to chat with Francesca, Francesca, I should say, my apologies, who um, um, has also used uh, Valium, or at least, uh, uh, well, Valium is similar to product to I guess, Xanax. F- Francesca, good morning. Good
11: morning, how are you? I'm
1: good. I'm um, good. And tell me your own situation. Do you mind me asking why you prescribed it first?
11: Well, um, I've been attending a GP regarding my anxiety since I was 15 and now 32. Uh, seven years ago, I had a nervous breakdown, at which point I was given quite large doses to take when is, um, as needed. That was my first introduction to it.
1: Of Valium, was it?
11: Valium, yes. Um, So basically after that I came off them after a few months and I stayed away from all medication for a number of years but my anxiety was very dramatic so they started giving me um, sort of 20 at a time to take when and as needed and over a year or so um, my anxiety became unbearable. I was struggling in college, I was struggling to sit through lectures And my GP began prescribing me Valium three times a day in a a low dose uh, over a six month period. Um, The only way. Why why was the
1: anxiety becoming unbearable? Was it that you were becoming immune to the dose?
11: I think so. I think I was becoming dependent on using Valium as a way of managing my anxiety. I wasn't addressing the underlying causes, you Uh,
1: know. Yeah, that's interesting because the texter also said that it doesn't cure the symptoms. I mean, it doesn't cure the issue. It just um, eases the pain or eases the problem as as such.
11: In the six-month period that I was on the volume, um, my life completely deteriorated. I no longer socialized. I gained a lot of weight. I didn't exercise anymore um i just struggled in college i actually failed college i actually struggled even to find housing obviously there's a crisis but i struggled with managing my life and uh basically ended up in the homeless services and they actually were the ones who realized i had this strong dependency and as my medication was locked away for the safety of uh all the residents there i actually um was not given access to the to the volume, and that's how I managed to withdraw.
1: And what were the withdrawals like?
11: They were very severe. My anxiety was worse than ever. I spent many hours a day feeling unsettled and having panic attacks. Uh, also, uh, during the six months that I was on them, obviously the effects wear off. You grow uh, a tolerance to them, so they were becoming less and less effective. So I was withdrawing within the day when I was taking them. So I wasn't, I was ready to come off because my anxiety was higher than ever.
1: Can you describe a panic attack for us?
11: Well, for me, I have had a range of panic attacks. So some can be just very abrupt uh, changes in the environment and suddenly you think that you're going to die instantaneously. Um from something in the environment, maybe there's a global disaster, maybe uh, it's something within your own body, but your, your brain is just triggered into fight or flight instantaneously. Sometimes they come on gradually. You just feel, you start to shake. You have a lot of uh, fight or flight responses. You sweat, you tremble, you feel a sense of dread and impending doom. And that can last for me up to two hours. And, you know, often I feel like I'm going to die. That's really probably the worst symptom. But um, no one can reason with you. You just have to ride it out really until it settles down. And, of course, in that situation, uh, using Valium was efficient because obviously for the shorter panic attacks, which is what I would have had previously, they wouldn't work because it would be a short-term Panic attack, but if you have very prolonged panic attacks, obviously it gives time for the medication to kick in okay. and it can take the edge off it. Ah, yeah, yeah, so I that,
1: hear that term all the time taking the edge off it. Would you describe yourself as having been addicted to your prescription I, medication?
11: Um, I've been off them for, well, I've been off them now for a good number of months. Um, I was prescribed them after that in smaller and smaller amounts, and my GP. Uh, became aware that I was looking for them all the time and um, when they see that a patient is seeking them out they tend to restrict access so yes I do believe I was addicted because even to this day I still crave them and even a couple of months ago I had a bit of a mental health crisis and I was looking to take Valium. I didn't know how I would get through the anxiety I was experiencing. Without Valium, so I still do crave them now, even though I have managed to come off them in terms of taking them regularly. Did you ever try and um, find
1: them from a non-prescriptive source, in the sense of uh, from a third party?
11: No, no, because I, I would be against that. Yeah. It would be very dangerous. Yeah. But, but I, but I feel like uh, there's not much of a difference between dependence and addiction. Um, I didn't. I, I do still crave them, and I. Like I said, I was, I was looking for them. But if you access, uh, say, A&E, they don't give them to you there. And, you know, I'm in the main mental health services um, in, in terms of dealing with my mental health. So psychiatrists don't tend to hand them out either.
1: And was you know, there ever any the, was there ever any time when you tried to drill in or to dig deep into why you suffered with anxiety and why you suffered with panic attacks?
11: Absolutely, yes. I attend therapy regularly and I um, have done CBT, which I found to be helpful. I attended um, sort of a, a program to help me with my mental health called Open Dialogue. I have attended um, a senior clinical psychologist. I have, you know, I have spent years and years in therapy and really what where my anxiety was coming from, was uh, a, lo- a lot to do with the way um, my life had gone, traumas, life experiences. But, but the main reason for my anxiety, I believe in, the, in recent years, is not having the right lifestyle and support network. And I actually am off all medication and supplements now because I just have my life set up in a very specific way where I take time out to relax. I manage all the stresses. Uh, with a good support network, and you know, I'm still attending counselling on and off. But yeah, it does I, take.
1: Yeah, and I know also you you changed your diet and started on a much healthier diet. You also took magnesium supplements. You took B vitamin supplements. You started visiting health food shops for alternative treatments and what have you. All of that helped, didn't it?
11: Yeah, I would. The, the one supplement I highly, highly recommend is L-carnine. L-carnine is. Incredible! It's just an amino acid found in green tea, uh, mainly f- um, some black teas and um, mushrooms. Some mushrooms, um, but basically it's a harmless amino acid. It, it has the same effect as valium, working on the GABA receptors, which are inhibitory receptors okay. that calm the nervous system. And ashwagandha was something else I used, which is a stress adaptogen. Uh, which is also completely safe. These things you can buy online, very cheap from sports shops. They're completely safe. And they would be
1: plant-derived supplements, wouldn't they?
11: Yeah. And um, also the other one was valerian, which is really good for sleep as well.
7: Okay. But um,
11: not everyone (laughs) likes that one as much. But basically I did work in a whole food shop and we did um, offer these supplements supplements as an alternative and we often encourage people to take magnesium and B vitamins as well
1: And is And is your life happier, calmer, more controlled now?
11: Absolutely I'm not going to say I don't suffer from anxiety or I don't experience anxiety but now I understand that there are certain lifestyle changes you can make and they are more effective for instance, um, my recent relapse of anxiety was from looking at the news. So obviously, um, censoring the sort of information you're exposing yeah, yourself to, the sort of people in your life as well. You have to make sure that your relationships are supportive, that you don't have toxic relationships yes, in your life. Yes. Um, and you have to kind of really look at your life. I also got into sickness and um, that I found incredible. Like amazing. obviously,
1: yeah. Yeah. it's amazing if, if the impact of what, the impact that news can have on people. Bad news, negative news, unbeknownst to them, they're absorbing a lot of that. Even social media, you know, all of the issues within social media, and that's a toxic environment at the best pla At the best of times, you're absorbing all of that into your system, aren't you? Yeah, and you
11: know the the media have a huge role to play. They they um, I was observing that in the headlines, they try and provoke as much fear and anxiety as possible. So the second you read a headline, you're drawn into to a very terrifying narrative, and you have to read the article. And as you read the article, you see, as you go through the article, that actually it's complete fear-mongering that the information doesn't
1: match the headline whatsoever. Yes, yeah. Um, I am getting texts from people wondering uh, the different supplements that you're on, but and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm slow to give them out for general consumption. I know what worked for you. Would you say the best port of call would be to somebody to visit a health food shop?
11: Absolutely, and they're very knowledgeable. That's healthy. what I'm saying. Yeah. They
1: have the knowledge, yeah, 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 yeah.
11: Yeah, and um, also... Like, I, I really, I really believe that, you know, when you're experiencing anxiety, it is a signal to tell you that something is not working very well in your life. It is, our bodies have an incredible um, intuition to tell us that things in our lives are not working for us. And sometimes it's an opportunity for growth. And self-discovery that some people miss by labeling themselves as mentally ill, yeah. thinking there's something uh, chemically imbalanced. There yeah. are a lot of um, pushback against those theories because they are just theories. The biomedical model hasn't proven solid evidence that of chemical imbalances that lead to anxiety, that are physiological. Yes. There is much more evidence that these are to do with how we were raised, our self-esteem our relationships with other people yes. and traumas processing traumas and obviously doing any sort of uh, relaxation technique even if it's just taking time out during the day to do things that you enjoy doesn't necessarily have to be meditation or anything like that listening to music I find incredible I listen to music all day long and you know I just try and keep a very happy vibe in my life yeah and uh keep good people, good experiences. And I also, I take a lot of photographs of the good experiences I have that um, remind me that I am enjoying life, you know. And I, I have to say I'm happier than ever. And, you know, that is from working um, holistically on you. my anxiety. Well, so good for you, I would, good for you. So I would encourage people to, you know, to just censor the sort of um, information they're letting in. That, that's, that's really my my best advice I can
1: give. And it's superb advice. I'm delighted about had an opportunity to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on and best of luck to you, Francesca. Lovely chatting with Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks. All the best. Text 0868 104 106. Back after the break.
0: Call the Neil Prenderville Show now, 0818-104-106, Red FM.
1: Okay, just to call this side of 10, 11 o'clock and of one of the issues that we dealt with earlier that was that a teenage son suffering with social anxiety. Um, doctor wants to put him on Xanax and they got me thinking about things like that and benzodiazepines in general and then on to the little ticking time bombs that are being passed around the streets are outside pharmacies every day, unseen and not noticed by much of the population. But still, they are highly tradable. There's a very powerful article by Liz Dunfin, The Examiner, where she actually spoke to uh, uh, Michael Guerin at the time, and I dealt with that earlier this morning. And from that, many calls from you guys in texts as well. So just on this topic, just for another while. Noel. good morning. Did you want to hone in on the use of, say, for instance, benzodiazepines or a Xanax tablet or indeed um, a Valium tablet for somebody who's under 18?
12: Um, I mean, not necessarily under 18, but just the the use of them in general. Because when I was looking at the comments on that post that that came up, I just got a sense that there was a lot of people just literally just clutching their parents going, oh, Jesus, medication, no, no, stay clear with that, don't put the child on that at all. Where, When, like, and I know you had the... But I think uh, any parent,
1: me included, would be very much yeah. on red alert if they had a son or a daughter on, on benzodiazepines or uppers or downers or Xanax. Yeah, or Valium. yeah. In all fairness, like, I would be. I
12: do. No, I do. I, absolutely, I suppose. Just like I love to sort of give my own experience of having used them. Now I would have probably have been twenty at the earliest when I went on them. And like the first time I was ever prescribed Xanax, it's because I actually I hate flying, and I was literally prescribed one for takeoff, one for landing, and I only actually needed half a tablet each and so
1: excellent. you went to a GP saying I have a fear of flying and you were given yeah but exactly. you weren't given a prescription you were given a, a tablet is it
12: well I was given a prescription for two tablets okay
1: and
12: yeah, yeah uh, and yeah it only ended up needing to, have to take half one yeah. um each takeoff and landing and excellent fast acting effective and then I suppose next time I took them, and again, it's and uh, it's because I knew they were effective and suited me at work this time. But this time last year, I was suffering with desperate anxiety. Like I was really, really very sick for the whole fortnight. Um, Something I won't get into. Oh,
1: I, okay, fair enough.
12: And that was when I was given a prescription for seven of them. Like, literally one week's worth. And, like, I still have half of them in the medicine cupboards. Yeah. In my
3: kitchen. See, because... uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah?
12: What? Yeah.
1: No? Um, and, and that's... And I'm, and I'm delighted. And as people say, there is a room for medication in, in the world. I, I'm yeah. not disputing that. And, and I suppose, really, that's a very long way from the tradable drugs on our streets now that are being yeah. consumed in vast quantities Absolutely. and combined with alcohol.
12: Yeah. Like... In a control setting, I think they're. You, you shouldn't get frightened that the words are an and if that young fly is suffering from panic attacks at all, I think they'd really help him for, again, just short-time use. On t- like, I would, Jeez, I wouldn't be putting him on him for a month or anything, gotcha. but, like, yeah. until yeah. he can go to therapy, got, like, or even I'm on searching for depression long term for depression and anxiety long term but like certainly just don't be afraid of them just like you're not going to end up going to the wall you're not going to end up on yes, the streets yes, with your Battle of Alcance yes, and yes. your
1: Lennox, just because you've got prescribed a few from your GP. Okay, nice one. Cheers, Noel. Take care. Just a very fast one. Well said, Noel. Thank you. And good morning.
12: Good morning, Neil.
1: Okay, Neil, I,
2: had, I have a grandson. He's 10 years
1: uh, old. Does, does the parent of the grandchild know that you're talking to him?
2: She, yeah. she do, yeah. Are you 100%
1: sure of that?
2: Yeah, okay. I am, yeah. Okay, well, go ahead. And um, so is my son. And they went to the doctor, and the doctors prescribed antidepressants. Now, the son took one, that's all, and he was in a dazed condition, unbelievable, didn't know what he was doing. So I said to him, don't take him anymore. And we went into the health shop, inside in town, and the man inside in the health shop gave us Latini and Lemon Bam. Also a bottle of Eskimo oil. It's little tablets.
1: Meg oils, yeah, Uh, yeah, fish oils. Yeah, Yeah.
2: fish oils. They're brilliant for his brain, and you could see the change all of a sudden. The small fellow used to be picking the skin off these hands from anxiety. Your man was the same the other son, and I tell you something: they are two different children today. Even the school, the school couldn't believe the change in him.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: They're and that, brilliant, I'm telling you now.
1: And, and that was because you went into a health shop and spoke to the practitioners there for alternative ter- ter- therapies and treatments.
2: Exactly, and there's no side effects whatsoever with them.
1: Okay, okay.
2: They're okay. two different people altogether, no way.
1: Amazing, amazing.
2: Thanks, yeah, Anne. So it is, it's called Latini and Lemon Balm.
1: I'm sure. Okay, well, I've been encouraging people to visit their local health shops. Absolutely. Because in the end of the day, all medicines are mimics of plant. All med- medicines are mimics of nature, environment, what was originally grown in the fields and in the, and in the ground. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well done. not know anybody All right. All right, girl. Take care. Thanks, Anne. Thank Cheers. You. Take care. 608 Meanwhile, in that article, there were case studies, actually, that uh, Liz Dunphy uh, put together, uh, probably with the help of a Brewery. One was the case of a chap by the name of Mark who was 16 when he was first prescribed Xanax for anxiety. But that innocent request for help spiraled into an addiction that saw him taking up to 60 pills a day, going into seizures when he didn't have them and waking up in Garda cells covered in blood with criminal charges and absolutely zero memory how he got them. The criminal charges or why he was covered in blood or why he ended up in a Garda cell. He was prescribed the pills until he was 18. And then his doctor withdrew the prescription when he realized that Mark was addicted. And the subsequent sickness of withdrawal drove him onto the streets to source them elsewhere. He said, you can get them anywhere now. Cities, small towns, villages, rural places, anywhere. Uh, There were 20 euro for a tray when I was buying them first. And that was for a tray of 10 tablets. Of course, they came from different countries, different languages on the package. uh, And they all were... Uh, weren't in a package either, he says you could buy them single, you could buy them anywhere That's ch- and of course mixed then with alcohol the result he said could be mental and violent, you'd wake up in a cell, no memory of what happened no idea how you got there did I kill someone, covered in blood you just can't remember anything.
7: Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive.
0: 104 to 106. Red FM. This is the Neil friendville
1: Show. You know, you've done it, you know, you heard him talking about stories I mentioned earlier on this morning and then Lana was talking about it in the news, the working from home when you do all of the maths, so the sums on it. It uh, could save you uh, €1,400 Euro a year. Um, there's still a lot of people who are clearly still working from home in the private and indeed the public sector uh, because not all public sector is back. A lot of it is they're still working from home or there's a hybrid going on some days at home, some days uh, at work. But it just reminded me of a, a story from The Telegraph on Saturday. I don't know whether you... I was reading it overseas, so I don't know whether you guys saw it or not. probably did. It was probably carried in other papers as well, where Jacob Rees-Mogg was making the news. He was um, declaring war on the British Civil Service. And he was a brave lad, to be honest with you, to come out and accuse civil servants of working from home. They Apparently, they can choose the days in the UK as to what days they want to work from home. And he's accusing them of working from home on Mondays and Fridays. Because they think that uh you know the work and week is actually shorter than it really is, and that the Mondays and the Fridays were taken as work-from-home days for ulterior motives, I suppose. My words, not his. So he he said he was getting frustrated at the refusal of civil servants to return to their offices full-time months after the government lifted all working-from-home guidance during the pandemic. In fact, himself and Boris now want to lay off 91,000 civil servants in the UK. And the civil service unions are now saying... If you even think about that, whether it's a dream or a nightmare or a reality, you will have a strike of civil service workers right across the country he said he said he said that staff might be working from home when there are major sporting events on, or when the weather was nice. He says, or that the Friday and the Mondays gives them a really long weekend. I work from home on Fridays and Mondays. thank you very much Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. It's like an extra long weekend every weekend. That's what he's alluding. He said we're going to have to compare notes with the Met Office uh, because we've got the evidence on Mondays and Fridays that these are the days that civil service workers are taking. And it seems to, co- to be coincidental that they're also the days when there's a lot of sporting activity. We're going to check the forecasts. And also, we need to have evidence of Lord's test matches, whether there's a test match or cricket on on the Friday or the Monday. Um, so working from home used an excuse for long weekends he says. <laughs> I just thought it was God it takes one brave man to say things like that you know. Maybe if you do with a few politicians like that in this country but anyway text 0868104106 Pick up the phone on 818104106 and we'll pick it up after the break.
0: Text the Neil Prenderville show now 0868104106 Red FM. It's very
1: busy, and I will go back to phone calls again in a few minutes' time. But text from yesterday's program was telling you of the thousands and thousands of people that were just walking out of A and E's because they were just waiting around too long. You should ask the question: Why are they take Why are they attending A and E with a bug? If the, att- if the attendance fee was applied, would they be in there clogging it up or would they cop themselves on and mind their kids at home with a bug like we all used to do back in the day? My conversation with Dr. John in Canada, who wants to practice here, who came over here, spent nearly a 100 grand at UCC alone on fees. Never mind how much it was to uh, keep himself alive and roof over his head in Cork while he was learning uh, his trade in UCC. But then as soon as he'd finished, he was kicked out of the country. After listening to Dr. John in Canada, it says a lot about Ireland. We're a banana republic with monkeys ruling us. Uh, Morning, you should have some politicians on with that doctor to get some answers from them. No wonder the world thinks us Irish are so thick. Do they, really? You are concerned about the inconvenience that being caused to an international student... Who is telling you what you want to hear? Yeah, I do want to, I do want to hear what he has to say. Absolutely, I do. And then on house prices, the average house price, Neil, is 300,000 euro. No one will ever own their own house ever again. As an Irish person, it cuts me to the heart that we ever allowed this to happen. And then we were talking about the amount of uh, hotel bedrooms won't be available across the summer and the cost of hotel bedrooms in Ireland anyway. How can a hotel expect to be busy? When we were quoted 480 euro for a two-night bed and breakfast in Kilkenny for a wedding at the end of August, you'd get a week in Salou for the same money. You certainly would. Dogs on beaches being banned in the in uh, in Kerry, Ardmore Beach also has a daytime dog ban. Unfortunately, like a lot of laws, it's just not enforced or obeyed by the selfish people I agree completely with the beach ban on dogs as very few owners clean up after their pets they think sprinkling sand over it will do just fine have a walk along the railway line or the estuary walk in Black Rock and you'll see all you need to support banning dogs from public areas owners need to take responsibility and we really should have enforcement and fines for dog fouling should people call people out on it if they see their dog take a poo and the owner of the dog just walks on with the dog. Should you say, uh, excuse me? Or in Cork, oh, excuse me? Um, you know, what are you going to do about that? Or, or some way of saying, listen, you need to clean that up. Or would you be brave enough to say it to somebody? On the tragic and sad, indeed, murder of Santina Colley, uh, there's too much talk about the poor child on your radio program. It's affecting a lot of people, says Pat. And there are others like that from yesterday's program. I'm I'm, I'm sitting here in silence listening to this horrific and sad story and thinking of the silence in thousands of homes across the city listening to yesterday's program they're talking about. God love that little one. Another person says, it's so heartbreaking listening to this story. But another person then suggests that I should not have been talking about the murder of Santina at all. Give it a break, you seem to thrive on human tragedy. There's no need to keep talking about this tragedy on your program. It's been on the news, radio and television. We're aware of the facts. Justice was served. It will not bring back this beautiful little girl. Do you really think that listeners want to hear about this? I've switched you off. I think they do. I mean, are you suggesting, Sean, that something is as... Um, tragic and as sad as this the death of a two-year-old Cork girl at the hands of somebody who was convicted of murder should not be talked about i should just gloss over it completely ignore it like as if it never happened uh, god almighty baby santina was failed by so many in her short life i hope she rests in peace and one final one i am just so upset it's actually just tragic so thank you for those texts to 0868104106 back to the phone lines we go thanks for bearing with me jack good morning Hi, Neil. How you? There's a very big difference, of course, between, say, a prescription medication like a Xanax prescription or a Valium prescription and the trading of uh, tablets on our streets by dealers. You know what I mean? Big difference in the two. Did you yeah, want to jump there, in on that? Yeah,
13: you had a post up there about a woman with her teenage son, I suppose, and I seen it on your page and I just commented. Um, I suppose if, if there's a massive epidemic when I'm in Ireland, like there's so many people abusing them, but it's all starting with the doctors, I suppose. Like when I was... About 17, I was put on Xanax for a while to deal with anxiety and panic attacks. And I suppose I started abusing them. I I did for years. Um, And then I was taken off them. And it was, I suppose I had to find them elsewhere because I I needed them. But I didn't. I wanted them. I thought I needed them. And um, I suppose they're so easy to get. And there's so many fake ones around. It's just very dangerous. And when I seen your post about the woman saying her teenage son, uh, they were going to put her on them. I just, I suppose I commented and told her, stay away. But like, there's so many alternatives,
1: but it's just a... Here are the alternatives we're hearing this morning about visiting the professionals in health shops.
13: Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't know about that. Like, but there's so many alternatives, like, without benzodiazepine that aren't highly addictive and dangerous, I suppose. um, Like, I was put on a leftyopram after I got to Xanax because I actually ended up addicted to... And I ended up in rehab from him. Okay, can I and just I,
1: dwell on that point? Because you said I was in addiction from the age of 13. Yeah. Okay. So whatever prescription you were being given, were you being given it at 13?
13: Well, I, my addiction started elsewhere, but I suppose when I was given Xanax, it, it just escalated my addiction. I was given Xanax at about 15, about 16, I'd say, seventeen. Mm. But I had been in addiction already, I suppose, and the doctors never looked at my record to see that I had an addictive personality. And I suppose it spiraled my addiction when I was given to with an addictive personality. Um,
1: And what was the other, when you talk about earlier addiction, do you mind me asking what that was?
13: Yeah, well, it would have been cannabis, cocaine, um, MDMA. I had a multiple addiction, I suppose. I was many years in addiction. I was actually 10 years in addiction. Um,
1: so by the time no, you I first don't. got a prescription for Xanax, you had already experimented with cannabis and cocaine?
13: Yes, I had. I started at the age of 13. Um, I suppose I was kind of nearly full on in my addiction at that stage. And the doctors then put Xanax on top of it, which was a whole new ballgame and opener for me. Um, and when they stopped the Xanax and stuff and they realized, oh, you're addicted, they weaned me off it, they try to... But I just went elsewhere. I found diazepam. I found Xanax. They are benzodiazepine. Where? Like, so Where'd you find all them? On the streets of car, mainly. You know, it's they're not hard to find. And then I started buying them online on the dark web. It wasn't that hard. I watched a couple of YouTube videos how to get onto the dark web, and that was a whole new that opened a whole new world. So up. the
1: dark web would then lead you to having them delivered in a package to your door. Oh yeah,
13: you like, and they're so much cheaper than the street. You get hundreds of them for. Pennies, really? I suppose. when you think about it. There's, there's a brand called K-Sol, and um, they're destroying cars. They're not I even. heard about
1: that just uh, about an hour ago. That's the latest one.
13: Yeah. Yeah. They're they're but like you can buy like a strip of them of ten of them for like fucking two euro. You know.
1: Good God! So, were you consuming vast quantities? Gee, some days I could take up to thirty of them. And how were you functioning? I mean, what was the... What, like the
13: I, I, wa- I wasn't functioning. I was dribbling. I was drooling on myself. I was falling asleep at work. I was falling asleep on the couch at home. I was falling asleep out in the garden. I was just nodding out. Was, it, was, it was ridiculous, really, I suppose. And it just got to a point where I overdosed a couple of times, and that was it. I just said, I can't do this anymore. And I but had obviously, to to
1: people, just before we get on to that aspect of it, people must have noticed a catastrophic change in you.
13: Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't eat. My weight was going down. My parents knew everything. Um, I suppose, like, it was just, it destroys your life. Like, you just, you wake up, you feel you need to take one when you wake up. You take them throughout the day. You convince yourself, I need these to survive. I need these to function. And in actual fact, like, when, when I stopped using them, I look back. I, I wasn't functioning on them, but I convinced myself that I needed them to function. Whereas, it was actually making me ten times worse. I wasn't functioning. My life just revolved around my next tablet, I need one to go to work, I need one to get through work, I need one now to get through the next hour, I need a few now just to keep me going, you know.
1: Because I was talking about Mark earlier on, who was first prescribed Xanax for anxiety at 16, Uh, that led him into addiction just like you, he ended up taking 60 pills a day, he would go into seizures, I don't know whether he was mixing with alcohol, but he ended up in Garda cells, criminal charges... Complete loss of memory, no recall of how he got into, say, for instance, a guard cell. I woke up there in the morning. Did you mix it with alcohol in the sense? You, you said you were just like going around like a zombie. Were you ever angry? Were you ever violent?
13: Yeah, I was. I would have had outbursts at home, and I, I often got in fights with my parents, my brother, uh, and I'd never know why. I'd wake up next morning and I could have bruises. Brother often actually had to just pin me down, and you know, I just. It's complete blackout, as you said. You don't even. Like, you know, someone could tell you a story and you wouldn't believe it. Like, it got to the stage where my parents actually recorded me a few times just to show me. And I suppose that was the wake-up call to go to treatment was, what What am I doing? It feels like a complete loss of control of your body. It's what, kind of like,
1: what did they show you, at video? What was it?
13: Jeez, there was a few, like, oh, geez, smashing up stuff at home, out in the garden, screaming and roaring at people passing because I thought they were robbing stuff out of the garden, telling my parents they'd rob my drugs when I didn't even have any in the house and my parents wouldn't even touch a drug like they'd never even, I'd say they wouldn't even know what they looked like convincing that they had brought my drugs when there was none in the house. Complete paranoia
1: like but I didn't remember any of it it was just like. So on top of all of that then you had family members and your parents living in fear of you? Oh completely my mother
13: had got to the stage where she completely stopped talking to me my father didn't they tolerated me living in the house I'd say if I didn't go to treatment when I did it was kind of the end point I would have been thrown out of the house.
1: But did, did you look for treatment? Was it forced upon you?
13: No, I actually looked for it. I got sick of it, completely waking up, vomiting, blood, vomiting, blood, nosebleeds from the cocaine, just completely tired, constantly, no energy. It was just, it got to a point where I didn't want to live anymore and it was either a choice of, I suppose, I was going to overdose and died from a suicide or I needed to change my life there and then and, Something just clicked in my head. I went and seeked help. I did meetings and stuff, and luckily the people at Fellowship housing park, They were a lifesaver. I don't think I could have done it without them.
1: Benzodiazepines are the most common prescription drug group implicated in individual poisoning deaths in this country. Methadone is the next one after that. Alcohol. Yeah, then. it's
13: it's crazy. Like the amount of people even in treatment for benzodiazepines, and it's you know it's dangerous when they have to do like a three week wean off process they have to wean so off. Talk to
1: you. Like, yeah, talk to me about the about the rehab. Then you said fellowship house. Is it? Yeah, it's fellowship house in Cork. It's Part of the Tabor Group. Um, I did ninety days there. and
13: um, but before I went in, I had to go to Arbour House in Cork, and um, they did a wean off. I suppose you just gradually come off them. They give you a, a prescription for a certain amount of day, depending on what your um, I suppose your dose a day. Is. They bring you down constantly before you go in. But they want you often before you go into rehab, I suppose. They don't want you withdrawing in rehab, I suppose.
1: And um, What do you do in the 90 days of rehab? What happened?
13: I suppose you're doing meetings. Um, you see your counsellor. You go through your problems. You're, you see where your addiction started. Was there something that brought you into addiction? What traumatic events, I suppose, brought you into your addiction? Was there a traumatic event? Do you do group sessions, individual counselling? um I suppose there's a lot to it like it's you, you, there's like a primary six weeks you're in a big building with loads of people and then you go into an apartment and it's independent you try I suppose get used to living again looking after yourself cleaning your apartment
1: you know trying to get back to being did you have any contact with the outside world parents visits Anything?
13: Like it that was during COVID uh, but I had no visits at all um, I had my phone three times a week uh, for an hour and I was allowed video chat home and um, I suppose that was kind of it. That was the only contact because it was during COVID. I was in there, there was nobody allowed to come. So it was just 90 days in there. And I suppose three hours a week we had our phone and it was phone home, video chat, and that was it then.
1: Were you amongst other people, similar age, similar circumstances, similar issues?
13: Yeah, there was there a was, range from 18 to 60. There was no specific age. There was people in there of all ages and there was about 27 of us in there Uh, throughout the 90 days but the kind of people come people go but there was always about between 20 and 27 I suppose with us.
1: Okay so when you come out of rehab and you're clean and you're in good shape uh, the problem then is staying like that isn't it?
13: Yeah it is like the thing they told us in there which is a big thing is people places and things I suppose the people around the places you go and the things you're doing which is a big factor for me because I came back to I suppose the town where I lived and I suppose a lot of the same things were going on. I was walking past people that were smoking cannabis. We all trying to smoke. I said, "No, I clean. I should go on just one smoke. Like you know, it's only it's only cannabis. You know, it's not going to it's not the tablets or brand. You know." Can it's I just ask you a
1: question on that? Because these things fire off in my brain when when people say things. Why do people want to encourage other people to abuse and to take substances? Do they get some kind of consolation in that, or what? I go on. It's only one. I go on. Do they feel that things are better for them if they get other people to do what they're doing or what?
13: I suppose I never figured that out. But in my head, I always thought like when people offer you cannabis, people, I suppose people in Ireland think cannabis, All oh, cannabis isn't really a drug. You know, just have a smoke of weed. You're all right. It's only cannabis. You know, it's not the tablets or the cocaine you're taking. You, you won't go backwards. Whereas with myself, I found like the cannabis leads to other things. You know, the stone isn't good enough. Off weed, I'll have a few tablets, and then I'm groggy. I want a bad of to wake me up. And you know, I, 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 people think in Ireland it's a misconception that cannabis isn't a gateway drug, which I know I would never would have thought it was when I was in my addiction. You know, because I was, I suppose, blinded by it. But now I would say cannabis is a gateway drug. I tell everyone stay away. From it. Like, good man.
1: How old are you now, Jack? I'm only 23. Okay. How long you had a rehab?
13: I'm out of rehab nine, ten months, but I'll be a
1: year clean in thirteen days, twelve days. Fair play. It's great for you. It's also fantastic for your parents and your brothers and sisters, isn't
13: it? Yeah, I'm still building relationships. I suppose I put them through hell, like, but it is good. It's getting better. It's um, day by day. You know, twenty four hours at a time, and if I can't go through twenty four hours, I break it into six hour intervals. I I get through the days.
1: You're an amazing, powerful character, in fairness to you. You really are. And what's the rest of your life going to be like? Jesus, hopefully a lot, lot better. Now, what, um, are you, what are your plans? You know, Look, I have a child on the
13: way now since I got out. Um, I just, just work, really. That's my main focus at the minute. Get a care and hopefully find what I want to go into in life. I never knew, I suppose. My whole life was blinded by drugs. I'm now trying to figure out what I'm into, what my interests are, what avenue of work I want to go down. I suppose, what I really am interested in. So I suppose it's just time now to figure all that out for the next couple of months and then maybe head to college and see where I want to go with what avenue of work I want to go down.
1: I wish you all the best of luck in the world going forward. And uh, you have a baby on the way. (laughs) You probably don't need me to tell you, but that's that's a game changer, I can tell you.
13: Oh stuff, yeah, many sleepless nights and stuff. Yeah, like you might get lucky it.
1: on the sleepless nights, but the responsibility that it brings it's good that you're in great shape for that.
13: Yeah. Jeez, I would have never done it, I w I I don't think I would have often it, it was in my addiction, but look, clear head now I'm able to push on with
1: it and Delighted for you. I wish guys like you could get into primary and secondary schools and share your story, you know?
13: Yeah, do you know, I, I was actually only talking to someone about that today. I'd love to go to maybe as a task force drug worker or something or a drug counsellor maybe and deter people. Because, think about it, man. Think about it. Yeah, I definitely. I, I look at that avenue sometime because the way the guards do in schools, is, I think, is, is, is they don't get the point across. No, I think and it's, to all very, you
1: know, it's all very well for people to go into these professions and talk the talk. And you've walked the walk, though, and that's the big difference for me.
13: Yeah, I said that to a person before, like when the guards go in, they say, oh, you smoke one joint of cannabis, you lose your head. I think when that doesn't happen, when a child smokes his first joint, you go, oh, the guards were lying.
1: It's not as bad. I know. Yeah. You see, that's the life experience that you can share. Listen, good luck. It's just a pleasure catching up with you. Thanks so much for being so open and honest and chatting on air. Look after yourself. Perfect. Thanks very much, Neil. Take care, Jack. Take care. Text 0868104106. Incredible guy. Good luck to him.
0: The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday.
1: 0818 104106. And it says, uh, could you please find a minute in your busy show to wish a happy 50th birthday today to one heck of a super guy, Dave Ahern. He's just one in a million and we love him to bits and we're looking forward to the next 50 years, says Eileen and Murph. So happy birthday for the day. Today to day to super guy Dave Ahern. Look after yourself. Now, uh, this is sad. It really is tragic. A mother duck has been hit on the road between the Kinsale Road flyover and the Wilton turn-off in the inside lane. Mother duck, there's six or seven baby ducklings there as well. Can somebody please contact the ISPCA? It would be a shame if they were all killed. I was a passenger on a bus and couldn't do anything about it. That's very sad. We'll make a call. Uh, you're telling me that the mother duck is dead and the poor old six or seven baby ducklings are absolutely lost and frantic on the road um, and uh, if i have an update on this this side of midday uh, i'll let you know text 0868 yeah i did that shout out so that one is gone so that's fine now um i mentioned uh, earlier this morning that i'm going to give a little bit more time to our giveaway for uh paris a weekend for two in paris this is courtesy of cork airport and welling airlines and uh it's for you and whomever you choose to take with you return flight from cork To Paris. You went to Orly. It's the closest airport to Paris city centre. It's only 14 kilometres away. So in and out. We've uh, sorted out hotel accommodation for two nights. A €200 voucher for The Loop, which is the big shopping arcade area at Cork Airport. And then while you're waiting for the flight, you will be in the Aspire Executive Lounge at Cork Airport. And if you're driving up there for the trip, you will have free parking for the duration. So text or email your holiday memory stories. So we have uh, a few calls to do. um, uh, Just ahead of that, some text. My holiday memory was every year heading off for our annual beach trip. Me, my sister and brother would be squashed into the car with my three other cousins, plus my mam and my dad. And off we went to Tremor. We spend the day on the beach, never asking to do anything, do any of the rides, but always at the end of the day, ma'am would have put money aside and would always treat us to a few rides in the Marys. We always appreciated as we knew our parents didn't earn much. And to top the day off, a trip to Dooley's for fish and chips, those were the days, the little things Always meant the most, said Laura, says Laura. Beautiful text. I mean, for you it was Tremor and for many others then it could have been, say, for instance, y'all. Um, you don't mention the size of the car. I bet you it was a tiny car. You, your sister, your brother, three cousins and your mam and dad and all of the luggage, uh, probably into a Morris Minor or something like that. It was a Morris Minor in our case. My most memorable holiday was returning from Munich on September 11th, 2001. I would have been in the sky and unbeknownst to me, the attacks would be taking place at that time on the Twin Towers. As we were getting off the flight, new security measures were being introduced. We waited in the lounge for our next flight and watched in disbelief the attacks on the World Trade Center. I've not flown since that day. Imagine that. Hasn't been on a plane since September 11, 2001. As I was already a nervous flyer. That was the final straw for me. I'd love to try and overcome this fear and fly with my daughter and see some of the world with her. Thanks. Do you ever think about hypnosis with regards to helping you to get over your fear of flying? Just a thought. Hasn't flown since September 11th, 2001. My favorite holiday has to be going to y'all. As a child on the train... When you got close to y'all carpets, you knew you were almost there. We thought we were going abroad, going to y'all. Summer lasted forever then. Sandy chicken sandwiches on the beach and then the Mary's by the beach. I still miss those days. We didn't have much, but we actually did when I think about it. What wonderful memories of my childhood. My most memorable holiday was when I went to New York for four days. My now husband asked me to go to McDonald's to get a drink. <laughs> And when I came back, he was down on one knee in front of Times Square waiting for me. Two years later, and two and with a two-year-old child, I just could not be happier. He proposed on his knee in Times Square. I'd say that happened a lot. One of my fondest mem- memories was a few years ago, while I was on holidays. We were staycationing, and the Heritage Day was on. So myself and my son Noah, who was around 10, decided to go on a tour of our beautiful city. We, we started in Bellsfield then went to Roach's Buildings to see Noah's great-grandparents' house. Then we went to Shandon, went up and rang the bells, took in the view. After that, we went to Heineken for the tour, then to the Elizabeth Fort, and we finished our tour in Glucksmann Gallery in UCC. It was the most wonderful day and a beautiful holiday memory, says Paul Murphy. And can I just do one here and then back to the phone? Caroline says, we were on camping a few years ago. We were putting up two tents, so me and my husband who are very competitive with each other, have to have a race who can set their tent up the fastest. We were halfway through when my daughter came over saying, I fell off the monkey bars. I said, yeah, 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 that's fine. Go ahead, go away now until I beat Daddy in the race as to who puts the tent up first. Little did we know, for we discovered a little later, that she had fractured her hand. Worst mother ever, says Caroline, and that is her holiday memory. I suppose holiday memory from hell, if you like. To the phone lines we go. Barry, good morning. Good morning, Ian. How are you, doing? Barry Cunningham? Share your story with us. You might get into Friday's final.
10: Yeah,
14: um, so okay. So my story is uh, way back in the early '90s. Um, we went to Crete, so
1: we were going on holidays.
14: Who's Crete the we now? Is
1: your fiance at the time now your wife? Is it? Yeah, I was—I was
14: only actually thinking. I think it was actually that holiday that I that I proposed to her. Uh, you know, so it's obviously I'm, I was, uh, you know, very nervous and uh, scared that I'd bring her back safely. Like, you know, so I—I I, I told her the most extreme thing I ever did was a bungee jump, and she said, "Oh yeah, I'd, I'd love to do one of those. I'll do one while we're here on holidays." But I—I kind of said, "Like, no, no way, no way. I can't, can't go back and tell your parents like that. You know, you're after hurting yourself." So I said, "Look, <laughs> what well, what we'll do? We're here now." Do you we'll think do she was Paris a piece of
1: china here. or something, Barry?
14: Oh, but come here! If I, had to, after asking her father, could I, could I ask her? You know, I'm not going to come back now. But you know, I damaged
1: her—broken you know? <laughs> leg or broken arm or our neck, yeah, yeah, or yeah, neck in no. oh, a brace.
14: Exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So okay. I said, no, 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 no. We no, we can't, can't have that. But, but the the, the place that we were at, then they offered parasailing. So that's, so that's like the parachute out the back of a boat. So I said, look let's do that, that'll be an extreme thrill, you know, the two of us can do it together, like, and at least I'd feel like, you know, kind of, kind of minding her, or whatever, you know, so, that was grand, we were all harnessed up on the beach anyway, giddy with excitement, and they, they, they tied the line onto the back of a speedboat, and soon enough, then the speedboat shot off, and we were hoisted up into the air, you know, yeah. and then, you're You're and hoisted into could, the
1: air from the speedboat, right? Oh, exactly, yeah, yeah and, yeah. and they, have, they they have a bit of a
14: winch as well, like, so they yeah, can set yeah. the line, now, yeah, higher,
1: I've done it many times like crossing the road with the green man it's I it's know that's no, extreme no, it's, that's an extreme that's, it's
14: not extreme it's, it isn't <laughs> well, well, Neil, Neil it became extreme <laughs> go ahead <laughs> so anyway so, so we we soared off through the, through the sky and, and you can see all the way up along down the coast you know Hersonusus Mali, Malian, the, Alice, Mally, and the, the <laughs> sea is beautiful and the whole lot of, and, and then we could see the, the boat below and um, then we could see that the boat was kind of slowing down, like because, so. You know, we kind of got excited, and what oh, they're going to dip us into the water, like you know, that's that's the normal thrill, like when you do it. You know, they dip you into the water and then hoist you back out. again. You know? Yeah, so,
0: yeah.
14: So that was then. we were looking forward to that, giddy with excitement, kind of floating down, and then kept floating down, and kept floating down, and then we kind of noticed the boat, and there was no white water behind the boat anymore. So kind of just as we splashed down we kind of realized uh, the boat is broken down. Uh. <laughs> so, so just dipped straight into the water, and, and that, that, that was it. There's so you're in the water
1: now with parachutes and ropes for ropes, both
14: of you. Yeah, yeah, and the ropes kind of beginning to wrap around you. Like, and, and the thing is as well, like, I mean, when your eyes are at sea level, you know, like, first of all, when you're up in the air, you can't see the swell. But like, when your eyes then are at sea level and you're in the swell, you know, you can see the bows, and you can't see the bows, and you know the line. The lines are beginning to wrap around you. So who's panicking now, both of you? Well, it was, well, well, the two, well, we didn't panic there and then because we could swim, but like it was only kind of discussing it afterwards, like that you kind of admit to each other that you were terrified of sharks. You know, sharks. <laughs> but like it was, it was the sharks and the deep navy sea and the lines and the was like so. Anyway, so our our friend of the boat anyway starts hollering like, and you know, uh, so I, I was he was trying to say dive down or swim, and you know, we couldn't do anything cause, because we had life jackets on, you know, so you can't you can't dive down under the lines because you can't submerge. no
1: nah, you can't get under. You are you know? like a cork. Oh, yeah, and in the water, yeah. If if you
14: try to wave your arms and like the, the lines were going around our arms and legs and the whole that, like, and your man in the boat then was trying to say swim away, and we were kind of, will we take off the life jackets? and he was no, 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 guy, keep, keep, keep. All so roaring and shouting, but anyway, long story short, I think the the, the tide or the current began to kind of pull the parachute away from us, so so we kind of managed to get away under the lines and eventually, and and then we kind of did begin to drift uh, towards the boat. Like, but um
1: I thought yeah, a jet ski I, came along with some that, six that's foot. That's what I'm just. That's what I'm getting to. The, the
14: bit like I suppose the extreme thrill in the it came at the end when we were rescued. So honestly, you know the, So this like. It was a thrill for herself. Like this Greek Adonis <laughs> arrives on a like a three man jet ski and uh, picked the two of us up out of the water and bombed back across the across the sea back to shore. Like so. <laughs> so yeah. So 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 she got her extreme thrill in the end. Like
1: <laughs> oh my God, Almighty! Could you imagine if anything? No. On a serious note, I mean, going back to her dad, that would have been a problem. Her, her mom, for oh. that matter.
14: Because I like I I've been to Crete now a couple of times, but I think it was actually the time I proposed to it, you know. So like, no, that 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 I just couldn't. Do people? At all yeah,
1: yeah. Do people actually yeah. still ask the dad, "Can I marry your daughter"? Do they? Do they? I don't know.
14: I I, I doubt it. I doubt it. To be honest, did you? Yeah, I, think. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I you know, went, be able to, I, Did you go be to, able to the dad, to that, or right. did you go
1: to the dad and ma'am or what? I went
14: to the dad. Yeah. yeah. I went to, to, to the dad and he was actually dying with a call the same day and he couldn't he could barely talk he was like grab grab
1: <laughs> <laughs> whatever but I, ask, well, I, I asked him anyway <laughs> <laughs> and like it's, I just wonder do people still do that so you would have gone to her dad your wife's dad before you ever had any inclination to let her know that you were going to ask her to marry her. do you know what I mean like you would have oh, if, yeah, if, yeah, yeah. If, if he, if he yeah, had I mean, said was, no you never would have asked her to marry you
14: Eh, well, I kind of told him I was doing it. So, like, I'm, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure I wouldn't.
1: <laughs> but I kind of just let him know. Because don't you we're think going, that we're we're going the
14: woman... On holidays and this is happening.
1: Yeah, but don't you think that the woman that you want to marry would want to have the excitement and the thrill of telling her parents, I'm engaged?
14: Mm, I don't know. I don't know, I, don't know I, I suppose I'm just old school so that's kind of the way yeah, no, it is It know? is very old school yeah. I'm just wondering yeah, does yeah. it
1: still go on and that was in 0- yeah, 0102 so, I wonder if yeah, it I, died I, away
5: I wouldn't say so I, yeah, I wonder I, even I, is I'd it a case that. like
1: I bet, you, I bet you an awful lot more women now are asking men to marry them or yeah. women to marry women or men to marry men you know what I mean it's just a changed world it <laughs> is absolutely a changed world from back then no, listen I'd love to chat for longer but thanks for sharing the story Barry stay listening alright <laughs> Maria good morning
9: Good morning, how oh, are you? Good, I'm
1: going to belt ahead. Go ahead, what's your story?
9: So basically, this was just pre-Covid, and my husband, well, my fiancé at the time, we were in Clé Blanca uh, in this gorgeous hotel. So that morning we got up, went down, had a lovely breakfast, so we went out to the pool. So I got out my book, like you do, and then himself said, oh, I need to use the loo, as in he needed, <laughs> he's going to kill me, he needed to go at number two. So... <laughs> Off he went. Anyway, I stayed. I stayed down at the pool of my book, happy out. Um, so he went up, and you know, in the the hotels when the maids are cleaning, they normally put the trolley in front of the hotel door. So he got he got to, to the room. Yeah, the hallway, and the, the door was
1: open, of course. Like yeah, the door
9: was open. So he said to the maid, "Oh, I'll come back." He said, "No, no, I'm finished. I'm finished." <laughs> so that was fine. So the maid just let him in. So he didn't need to use his key. So off he went. In sat in the loo to do his business and never closed the bathroom door because he locked the the hotel door and he did say he was kind of looking, the water was was opened and he was thinking some of the clothes didn't look familiar but, you know, (laughs) the man being a man, he just thought I packed stuff for him that he didn't know he had. Um, So he's in doing his business and he, like a thing, had his phone out. Da-da-da. A little, what happened? He hears the door opening, thought it was me. (laughs) It wasn't me. He was gone to the wrong room. Here's the couple, arrived in, left a bit of a scream obviously. He couldn't get off the loop because he's
0: still sitting on the throne yes, like
9: yes. Yeah. But they luckily they kinda of recognized him from around the pool so there was no there was no like no fight or scream or anything, but obviously he had to finish what he was doing. But I was like, Where is he? He was gone for so long. So he had a he had a chat with the couple. What had happened is he was in the he was in the wrong floor. We were in the, the room directly above it. He had went to the floor below so yeah, used somebody else's toilet. Um, they came to the pool, down to the pool, to me, and told me, "I'm not joking yet, I thought I was going to absolutely <laughs> die, but they became our drinking buddies after that. You know that we we had a great time. It was it was just <laughs> such a laugh. But I mean, oh my god, I all couldn't. All you know what I was me.
1: when I was reading this earlier? I couldn't help but think it was the best place for him to be when they walked into the room, sitting when, on the toilet. Because if he, he, he had what? finished his business and got up and decided to walk around the room, thinking this room isn't familiar, and they came in then, well, yes. they're potentially looking at a burglar.
9: Yes, but he would have been looking, like normally he probably went to the fridge and grabbed some water or something so he could have been <laughs> taking their water or their fruit or whatever is in the room. It would have
1: had an entirely different scenario oh, result.
9: <laughs> but like, And then, obviously, then when the, the word spread around the pool, so he got slagged for the rest of the holiday, to be honest. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just before oh, you go, God. did he ask your parents if he could marry you?
9: He did ask my dad. In fact, yes. All right, <laughs> Anna.
1: How long ago was that?
9: Scotland. Um, we are actually married the year next Friday, and um, we had to have a COVID wedding, so, so we were married the year next Friday. Um, and last year, dad, so the
1: tradition is still there, uh, in, a, in, still there. in a relationship, say, whereas a marriage between a man and a woman, because anyone it can is. marry now, um, where the he, he would ask the dad. He asked your dad for permission last year. He
9: did. And my dad was only too happy to get rid of me. So he said, yeah, take her. <laughs>
1: <laughs> take her. I'll even throw in some money. <laughs> I not yep, even pay yep. for the wedding, just take it. That's her. it,
9: that's it. Yeah, <laughs> so that's my story anyway. Now he doesn't even know, I'm sure that I'm, because he's in work, he's, he's been working the office, so i working from home. Right. So he's probably going to hear this, and I be, could be divorced before no, my No, I don't think
1: so. For... <laughs> it's a great story. We'll see how you get on for uh, okay. a place okay. in the final. Thanks, Maria. Cheers for now. Take care. Tracy, thanks for I waiting. Mean, how morning. are you? How are you? <laughs>
4: I'm not too bad yourself
1: I'm good Now you were Flying back to Ireland you Were you living in Spain Or something at the time
4: Yeah I was working In a bar in um, Spain Around the time 9-11 hit And you know Something like that Brings everything Into perspective So I said Right I need to go home um, So the night before I For was good to go or home, were you
1: Just going home to see No I was,
4: no, I was coming home For good I'm right. kind of done By gallivanting So Okay um, we were coming home, but the night before, the staff and a couple of the the, men owned the local bars and stuff, we all, like, we had a few drinks, we went to the beach and stuff, so I had the bag, I knew I was taking onto the plane with me, but I suffered terrible with dry lips, so I found that when I was buying the lip balm out there, it was like chewing petroleum jelly, so I found a little tub of Vaseline that I used to keep with me just to keep my lips moist, so Todd nodding of it, it was in my bag had everything there was I was so particular about packing everything for coming home and everything that was grand. So I got to the airport and they pulled me out of the queue with another two ladies and for a search and I had to empty out my bag. So she picked up the Vaseline, there is the security guard. Now as you can imagine the security was frightening. and um, like the amount of police with guns and everything. So she looking at the Vaseline and she has it up so I go to open it but it won't open and I'm like, Oh Jesus so, are you trying to wedge it? And I can see that it's like wedged with sand, oh, <laughs> I'm standing and I'm like, um, and I'm trying to gesture out that it's for my lips. So I start rubbing my lips and going, with <laughs> my
1: lips." She knows that, I and,
4: <laughs> and she starts really like aggressively, speaking to me in Spanish about opening it. So I looked alongside of the table, and there was like a little metal bin, you know, the little metal bins. So I gestured to her, could I throw it in the bin? <laughs> so I picked it up and I kind of went to go look as in say I don't need it I can throw it in your bin now obviously she thought I was throwing some bomb or grenade or something because she screamed with that there was two now I will say they were very hot but at the time I couldn't <laughs> appreciate their beauty
0: hot,
4: hot. they're very sexy men <laughs> um, what was it Spanish airport it, police it, with it, guns Spanish airport you police find, you find Annie, that sexy do you I did Neil there were like two Chippendales to Jesus sake <laughs> So I was saying to myself, I was saying, any other time I'd have asked for a selfie, but I actually felt like Bridget Jones being dragged away in a Thai airport. <laughs> so I was brought into a little room, and I was saying, Right, I said, then Bridget Jones, I don't even have brass to sell because I wasn't kind of blessed in that department. So I said, I'm shanked altogether. I was in the size of my drawer, they could cancel them, so I might have to sell those. But anyway, so they're, they're screaming and roaring, and I'm like, I'm trying to say it's Vaseline <laughs> for my lips and I again start poking in my lips like, like this, you know? And they're like really now like and you know the Spanish speak fast anyway, so I was like, Mother Jesus, what did they say? And I was saying, I'm gonna be in Bangkok up abroad here because of a tub of Vaseline So I tried to start opening it with my teeth. So I'm like, I put it in my mouth and I'm like, like this, like scraping. If you can imagine, you know, the enamel is just coming off and it will not open. And I'm like, so I start to kind of like try to pocket, like pump it to get like an air pocket in it that I could pop and open and nothing. So I gestured to one of the police officers to say like, will you try to open it? So I put my hand up so he pushes my arm away and I'm like, ooh, sexy, but I wasn't really. I was going, oh my God, I'm, I'm dead here. So he's like, uh, no, 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 where was the And I was, t- then I started crying because I felt started- the reality of it was hitting in. I was saying, I'm going to miss my flight. So I'm trying to gesture that I need to get on my flight. <laughs> I need. I added a cent to my name because I said, i go home No, I'll be grand once I get home. I'll start working again. But so, all this was going through my head. I'm scarlet. I mean, like I was brown, but I mean, the, 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 the scarletness took over the brown. So I was actually like a little lumpa lumpa, just standing there crying.
7: Did you get
4: it open? wage. Eventually, Neil Rice got it open, popped it, and uh, I started hysterically laughing with my nerves. So I'm standing there holding it in hysterics, dabs my finger, puts it on my lips, and then puts it through gesture like, look, do you want some? It's fascinating <laughs> because I didn't know what I was doing. And then the, the guard was like, look, so he took it off me with a glove and he started smelling it, and he was like poking at it, and I was there going, oh, sweet Jesus, what if someone was out putting something into my Vaseline? But anyway, it wasn't. So eventually they left me out, and they started shouting me some warnings, and then gave me this ticket thing. Sure, I didn't know what it was. Went out, missed my flight, had to wait eleven what? hours. You missed
1: it. The flight was gone.
4: Eleven hours in the airport, still surrounded by No, To be fair, Neil, they were very hot. Did the, the policeman want? So that kind of passed the time.
1: <laughs> do you, time. Spe- do you I spend had- all your free time eyeing up, eyeing up cute men, dear?
4: and not anymore because i married now I hold my husband but it was well before I met the love of my late uh, Neil you know <laughs> do you not
1: think do you not think that I know, I know about nine eleven, and it was around that time but yeah. do you not think that they completely and utterly overreacted
4: Neil will I tell you something funny right when I was saying I packed all my bag and that I was so careful with everything right I came home from Spain where I eventually got home and I was murdered for robbing lighters you know people's lighters yeah Inside in a plastic bag in my suitcase, Neil, I must have had sixty lighters, and I got stopped for vaseline. The shaggy lighter's going to blow up the plane, and there was easily sixty of them because I just like, oh, some. I got, light like, and then I grabbed a lighter, and I was like, "No, I don't have it." So I must have had sixty lighters inside my suitcase and yet I'd only got arrested for second Vaseline
1: and um, were you waiting 11 hours for the next flight then as well yeah,
4: yeah 11 hours and I had no and then what happened when I, when I flew into Stancet I had to wait there for another 7 <laughs> <laughs> I'd walk like Moses if I could part to see I would say could I walk across the water because it was so long
1: I was starving <laughs> Tracy you oh, should be doing you should be doing stand up comedy do you know that <laughs> oh I
4: know everyone says that to me they all of a sudden go on goggles but you see me live an awful song and I, I'm trying my best and not to say S Straight,
1: <laughs> straight straight into Friday's final you go straight into <laughs> the fi- <laughs>
4: Straight into I the you final. My favorite. Huh? <laughs> I knew you were my favourite. I knew you were my favourite for a reason. Oh I was God. looking at how cute you were with your pigeon video up and I said, Jesus, why not you eat the chips?
1: <laughs> Would you eat the chips after a pigeon had a good feed off? No, but
4: I'm getting it. There wouldn't have been enough left on the plate for the pigeon to shag and see them in the first place.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that pigeon video has gone down an absolute storm on my Instagram it's page. Straight into fun. the final. You never know. Friday yourself and your husband who's a long-suffering husband, I'm sure. Oh, he's long-suffering.
4: My dad gave him a quote. A million I'm sure to take me. <laughs> When he asked, my dad went fell down on his knees and started singing hallelujah because he thought no one ever would.
1: (laughs) Go on. I might be talking to you Friday. All right, sorry. Okay, God
4: bless.
1: Oh, my God. The people that listen to this program, Tracy and Cove, Eurotonic. My apologies to Keith and everybody else that was due on the air. I promise you we'll do a hell of a lot more of these stories tomorrow and indeed on Friday. This is an association with Cork Airport and Vwelling Airlines weekend break for you and whomever you choose to stick with you to paris so i want you to text or email your memorable holiday moments now uh, i try and get as many on as i can but i'm also reading out the emails and the text so text 0868104106 <laughs> email neil at redfm.ie i'm always in awe of people's gift of the gab and the ability to just tell stories so well have a good day